RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to another edition of the MMA Report Podcast with Dale Galvan. I am Jason Floyd. It is Thursday, February the 17th. To apologize for the show coming out one day later than we normally try to get this show out, but it is a jam-packed week in combat sports, especially a jam-packed Saturday night in combat sports where we have got the UFC earlier on the day. The Bellator starts a little later around the same time. BKFC. I have a feeling BKFC is probably going to come up when we talk about our WTF stories of the week because if you've not seen what happened today in the press conference well I think that's going to come up as we talk about what's going on also we'll take a look back at what happened UFC 271 and I've got four interviews for you as you're going to hear from John Castaneda Josh Trim, Georgia Carhyan and Jalen Bates uh, we'll mention also I uh, did an interview with Aviv Gozali who of course will be a part of that Bellator a preliminary card on Saturday uh, you can check that out over at the MMA report.com. Also a couple of interviews I posted over the past couple of days, but seal half who is coming off that win in fury FC, a split decision win, which if you go back on UFC fight pass and you watch that fight, I don't know how one judge thought that Anthony Ivy won two or three rounds. Uh, you want, Dan, you want to talk about home, Texas cooking, judging that was that fight. And there, there was a moment of the fight where it's the third round. Basile gets uh, on top position and this ref after like 10 seconds like no 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 get up get up and I'm like Jesus Christ I have seen some hometown cooking but this takes only in Texas and yeah only in Florida yeah we we are literally brothers from another mother uh, Texas and Florida with our athletic commissions I tell you what, we have seen lots of bad judging recently Jason we really have you know, and even uh, at that level. But it just seems like every single weekend we're talking about bad judging. But, of course, if you're running a, a show in, in my grade state, well, you, you might be, you know, that, that might be expected. Oh, no, no question about that. But uh, before we kind of get into what happened last weekend, we'll start off uh, this week's show by talking about some latest news and notes. And Kayla Harrison, this is a, a story that we have been talking about now for a couple of weeks, her free agency. As uh, you know, it was just a couple of weeks ago, Ali Abdelaziz, her manager, had basically hinted it seemed like it was a, a foregone conclusion that she was going back to the PFL. But she did some interviews this week, and uh, I watched her interview with ESPN where she said this. Quote, other things have happened and there's some last minute things happening behind closed doors that I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen. She And she goes on to say she's going to do whatever is best for Kayla. Uh, then she goes on to say three years ago, I, I would have said legacy. That's all I give a S about my advisors. They care about security. Obviously, I have two kids now. So for me, as hard as it is, security comes first. I have to make sure there's no guarantees in my life and there's no certainties. I could snap my neck tomorrow and never fight again. Security is important, but I can find a way to have security and continue to build my legacy. I think that's a winner. But also in this interview, she throws a little nugget out there. She has considered going down to 135 pounds, which my first thought was, 
I don't know how she would make 135 pounds. And she said this to Mark Mark Ramondi, quote, I'm considering it. I heard that Juliana said she'd move up to 145 if they paid her enough. So that's good news. That means I don't have to chop off an arm. I want to be the best. Everyone is talking about her. Uh, Goes on to say, why not? I have to conquer one mountain at a time, whatever mountain comes first she also did an interview with mma junkie where uh you could definitely tell daniel she's she's over free agency <laughs> like she is to the point of she just wants a fight and uh one of my twitter followers said that today ariel hawani on a spotify show that it's now come down to a two promoter race between the bellator and pfl which when i watched her interview with espn daniel my first thought was okay either bellator or ufc has made an offer that now has made her going okay there's a better offer on the table. Yeah, you got to think that's what she's alluding to when she talks about things that are happening behind the scenes. An offer has changed because it really has seemed like over the past month or so, the trajectory of where Kayla is going to land has obviously been towards the PFL. Now, I thought Kayla had signed a contract with the UFC already. That's what I thought had happened. I thought after Amanda Nunez was going to beat Juliana Pena, I thought Kayla Harrison would make her way to the octagon and they would square off and set up their next pay-per-view. So that's where my head was at back then. I just couldn't fathom her re-signing with the PFL because it felt like such, um, you know, not a step backwards, but staying in motion. And when she talks about how much she values her legacy, her legacy will not improve in any way If she competes another season in the PFL, she's already dominated the PFL. She's already the best fighter in the PFL. Uh, There just really isn't much to add to her legacy. When it comes to adding to her legacy, it's either taking the Chris Cyborg fight in Bellator or going to the UFC, taking some tougher fights, and the UFC will build her in a very similar way to how they built Ronda Rousey. What I will say is this. My head is telling me Based on everything that's transpired, it seems like things are leaning towards Bellator, that they are looking to make that Kayla Harrison-Chris Cyborg fight. But despite that, my like gut instinct is still telling me UFC. I do not think she'll re-sign up PFL. Look, from a combat sports fan perspective, I want to see her in the UFC or Bellator because I want to see where does she stack up against the elite of women's MMA, whether we're talking about going to Bellator and, and fighting Chris Cyborg or going to the UFC and and maybe it's a Juliana Pena, maybe it's a man Nunez at some point. But this was, I, I thought, was a really interesting quote that she gave to MMA Junkie where she said, quote, I don't really know what's going on. I'm getting real sick of it at this point. I can't comment on where I'm going going or what I'm doing, but I can comment that I'm getting really sick of it. Whoever wants me, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to sign on a dotted line, get a contract, get a fight booked. I'm tired of talking about it. I'd like to find either a new home or I'd like to talk to PFL to continue to make them my home, but I'd like to get this done sooner rather than later. And, And you know, look, I mean, it's one of those things of like, for me, from a combat sports fan perspective, I would love to see her Bellator. I'd love to see her in the UFC. But also, I want her to make the most money. But, like, you know, I, I've talked about this multiple times. Like, every time you hear Kayla Harrison talk or or Ali Abdelaziz talk about her, talks about her being the best female fighter in the world. And I think that 
you know, look, I think from what you see in her competitions, I understand why you can make that that argument. But until she actually fights the top female fighters in the world, I just can't consider her. You know, I you know, if you sit there and said, is she would I put her as one of the top five right now? I probably would. You know, you know, others, you know, looking at it from. You know, obviously Shevchenko, you got to put Juliana Pay in there, Nunez, Cyborg, and then I'd probably put Kayla number five. Yeah, I think I think that's probably where it stacks up. I mean, I would probably put her there, and in a fight against Chris Cyborg, I would pick her to beat Chris Cyborg. But I would rank Chris Cyborg above Kayla Harrison by giving respect to the um, the the resume of Chris Cyborg, the stuff we already have on paper. It's just a bit more impressive than Kayla, but from a true talent level. You know, you match up against Juliana Pena, I might be more interested in laying money down on Kayla Harrison than Juliana Pena. I think clearly with the Amanda Nunez loss, it's either her or Valentina Shevchenko that are the best female fighters on the planet. And and I think the answer is probably just Shevchenko, even though obviously she's lost to Nunez. I, I think because of the long win streak and how dominant she's been at 125, Valentina is the now number one female and I think there's a pretty big gap after Amanda Nunez. Um, what I will say is that, simply put, what we got to understand for Kayla Harrison is that it's all about the 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 marketing power of the promotion that signs her. Because at the end of the day, we are talking about only one to three interesting fights across both promotions. Cyborg, Nunez, Pena. At her weight class, at 145, the, the, the fighters are limited. And, and, and her next fight, if she signs in either of those two promotions, will be big. But the long-term value of Kayla Harrison is going to depend on the promotional ability of either the UFC or Bellator to build up new challengers. Because that's where PFL fell short with their run with Kayla Harrison. I mean, look, PFL, they need Kayla Harrison back in their cage. No question about it. She is the face of that organization. And I would tell you this right now. Like, if you tell me, you know, if there's one female fighter that you tell me is fighting on Saturday night, you know, in terms of, you know, those names I mentioned, and say you can only watch one of those fighters fight, it would be Kayla Harrison. And just because of, now look, like in a PFL, Outside of Julia Budd, I, I just don't think there's a lot of fights that intrigue me over there. I mean, the, the Chris Cyborg fight to me is is a thing that intrigues her in Bellator. I don't know what else there is in Bellator. I mean, I, I guess like if, if I'm Scott Coker, my thought process is I bring in Kayla Harrison. You immediately put her into the matchup against Chris Cyborg. That is a perfect, perfect, perfect fight to put Bellator on CBS with. I'm just saying, you know, if you're going to go on CBS, that, that that's the perfect fight there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like Kayla Harris, I mean, she, to me, she's must watch TV, but if you tell me she returns to the PFL, my interest has lessened on her. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. It's just one of those things where we are going to be in the same conversation one year from now, talking about her frenzy. I don't think it's going to budge. She could just hurt her value if she somehow, you know, gets locked into a guillotine choke. So there's that. But, um, you know, it's very exciting. Again, if I had to give you an answer, I would say she's signing with the UFC. Obviously, it's training towards Bellator. What would be your what would be your best bet on what happens? I think she ends up in Bellator. Yeah. I mean, I think logically that's where the tea leaves are reading. 
I mean, look, I think if you're Bellator, it's about creating fights that are going to get eyeballs to your television product. I mean, I, I think it's the end of the day. I mean, they've got that great one-two punch combina- combination coming up in April in San Jose with the rematch between um, McKee and Pitbull. And then your co-main event is going to be the light heavyweight title fight between Nemkov and Anderson. I mean, I think that's a, a great one-two punch combination. I don't know if they could come up with a better one-two com- punch combination at this point, but that's where I'll see there. By the way, speaking of the PFL, PFL's back this week. PFL Challenger Series uh, kicks off there. It's uh, part of the FUBU Sports Network. So um, I do know this, that if you are not a FUBU customer, because I am not, on my smart TV, I've got a Samsung smart TV. Uh, FUBU Sports Network is a part of that, so I can watch that fight card on Friday. We'll tell you this, Travis Davis, who most recently fought in Bellator, he was recently released by Bellator. He was actually contacted by PFL like a week or two ago, basically saying, hey, would you want to be an alternate into the light heavyweight part of this? And he says, yes, he flies to Orlando earlier this week. Had had no idea he's going to fight. And uh, yesterday on uh, Wednesday, I want to say it was, he found out, yeah, he's fighting. So he's a part of this card, a uh, four fight card, of course. So, you, you know, I'm, I will say this. I'm intrigued to see what this challenger series looks like for PFL. Um, I, I just don't know if it's going to be an every Friday appointment television viewing for me because, well, Daniel, just being honest about it. Friday nights are typically when I go out with, my, go out with the boys and, uh, you know, sling back some beers and throw some darts. It's an important thing to do to decompress after a hard work week. And I know you're a hardworking man. I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know, while some people decompress by watching fights and to be frank, that's what we do, too, especially if it's a Saturday night UFC pay-per-view um you you gotta decompress and on a weekend like this man this is a tough weekend to get some mma real estate obviously we don't have a big card right the ufc's jamal hill johnny walker fight night it's not going to be on the front page of espn uh for that long uh the bellator card is a solid fight but you also have knuckle mania just a lot of events going on but i mean that's probably the world we live in where just every single weekend we're going to have anywhere from two to four events from really notable promotions like PFL, Bellator, BKFC, UFC, 1FC. The list goes on and on without mentioning all the people broadcasting on Fight Pass and whatnot. Yeah, they, it was actually, I just re-upped with Fight Pass uh, because I was interviewing a bunch of fighters that were just on Fight Pass, so I wanted to go back and watch their fight. I think they've only got, uh, I think they have a, a fight card maybe tonight, uh, Battlefield, I want to say, is on there. But yeah, it's uh, there is always a ton of action over there at, at UFC Fight Pass. So uh, you mentioned about BKFC as they've got Knuckle Mania 2 coming up this weekend. Um, they, it is a part of their, their app. It's not a pay-per-view. They've got an app, which is like, I think it's like five bucks a month. So you can watch this this card for five bucks a month. So a great uh, value over there. If you want to watch bare knuckle FC. Now this will kind of lead us into our WTF stories of the week. I was not going to make this my WTF story, but when I was promoting the podcast on Twitter uh, and I mentioned about, we would have our WTF stories of the week. Uh, Scott says Mike Perry bringing a bat to the presser had to be the WTF story of the week. And if you have not seen this on social media, Oh my. So I was here in the office. I was, I saw the, the stream had started, so I, I went over to the BKFC uh, YouTube. So I was like, I don't let me watch it. Honestly, the quality was like going in and out, so I was like, uh, I turned it off. Apparently, I turned it off way too quick. Um, Julian Lane and Mike Perry, who are fighting in the main event, they were having a good back and forth with each other. Hey, I'm going to knock you out. Da, da, da. And uh, at one point, Daniel, Mike Perry pulls out a baseball bat going like he's staying from WCW. <laughs> I know. I, I was thinking he was staying like WCW or 
you know, I was just, I was like, damn, pitches and catches should be reporting right now. But the only person with the bat is Mike Perry. Like, that's what I was thinking. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a total WTF moment. But if there were two guys who personified what BKFC means to me, it would be these two men, these two knuckleheads, the let me bang bro guy and Mike Perry, who just pulls out a a baseball bat. Like, what are you going to do with that? You're already going to fight in a bare knuckle contest at 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 a later date. Uh, were you, what was going to happen? Were you going to hit Julian Lane at this press conference? Was that what was going to happen, Jason? What made you decide to bring it? Like, I, 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 I'm not going to say I am not a conspiracy theorist at all. But, like, I wonder how much of this was kind of staged. I That's most things that probably happen within this promotion. I mean, there are a lot of, like, scuffles in the crowd that just feel manufactured. And even if it's not like scripted where they're not like, Hey, go do this and that. I think the guys are obviously in on the promotion. Yeah. I, uh, one of the things that I, and I sent this to you earlier, I was really shocked by this because I was, so when I, I logged on to their, their, um, YouTube channel, uh, meaning BKFC, this is what really shocked me. And we can put this in the crazy stats of the day. BKFC, has 678,000 subscribers on YouTube. The PFL has 326,000. I would have I would have thought that would be reversed. Yeah, I know. I thought the PFL was the number two, you know, MMA promotion in the world. I know BKFC doesn't do MMA. They do BK whatever. They do bare knuckle fighting. But, like, yeah, I was thinking PFL is going to have, like, 10 million subscribers. But when you think of how much... How many? How long uh, PFL has been around? Going back to World Series of Fighting days and and the quality of fighters they've had, it's crazy to look at the uh, the the size of the BKFC YouTube subscriber base compared to PFL. I think it largely does that. P- BKFC does a much better job of going quote unquote viral. Like it may not be for the best of reasons. Often it isn't, but that appears to be their strategy is just to go viral for the sake of going viral. And we have really cringy moments, really cringy fight cards, but I am looking forward to seeing how Chad Mendes, you know, uh, does, but you know, it, it is cringy. Uh, not going to lie. When you have a dude with a baseball bat and he's like in his mid thirties, I don't feel like it's going to go well for Chad Mendes and BKFC. Yeah. Who's he fighting again? Uh, some guy I've never heard of. Yeah, you can't do takedowns in bare knuckle boxing, right? I, I'm worried. I, honestly, I'm worried about his chin. I, I just, you know, you just really wonder, you know, if he's going to be able to take those shots. I, I will say this. I like in terms of kind of like that, like where you're fascinated to watch something just because you think it's going to be a train wreck. I almost feel like that could be BKFC on Saturday night with the main event uh, of Julian Lane and Mike Perry. Yeah, like, I'm interested to see what happens after the fight's over. Like, I feel like these two could get into some type of extracurricular activities, but it's it's a very interesting fight where it's like you don't want to tell anyone that you're excited to watch it, but if it's on, you can't look away. That's the business model of Knuckle Mania 2. And it's such a funny name, by the way. It's just – it's uh, – Knuckle Mania 2 just sounds hilarious, and it sounds like something that could be on a pay-per-view channel, but it wouldn't feature combat sports. 
Yeah, no, no question about it. Now, my WTF story of the week goes to a video uh, that I saw on social media last week uh, where Matt Schnell defending UFC fighter pay. And this is what Schnell said to MMA Island. Quote, I was a legacy champion getting matched with guys like Demacio Page, 25,000 a show, 25,000 a win. You want to talk about unfair fire pay? Let's talk about what's happening outside of the UFC. Even these guys in Bellator, I know they have some prospects that they pay well, but 90% of those guys who fight on the night are making 1,000 a show, 1,000 a win. Don't talk to me about about it. It's preposterous. I'm not one of those guys who's like, oh, we need to do this. We need to do, do unionization. I don't want a fighter's union. I appreciate the opportunity to negotiate for myself. I'll sit down on the table and negotiate for myself. I don't want somebody negotiating for everyone else's BS. I don't care. I want people to make more money, absolutely, but people debuting 12 and 12, that's an awful nice payday compared to what they've been making. All these people bitching about fighter pay and they're stealing every single fight. Shut your effing mouth. Buy the pay-per-view, MFR. You want to see us get paid more? Buy the pay-per-views, you goose. And I feel and I feel them. It's expensive. We're living in an expensive time. Gas ain't cheap. Nothing's cheap. We got to keep on pressing forward. You want to complain about fire pay? Go for it. But make sure you're the one paying for the pay-per-views as well. Here is my WTF of the week, Daniel, in terms of this. And it is related to his quote where he said, where he goes, even these guys in Bellator, I know they have some prospects, they pay well, but 90% of these guys who fight on that night are making a thousand a show, thousand a win. Matt Schnell, I don't know who is giving you your information. They're lying to you, bro. It's fake news. There's people, prospects, who are making more money than someone making their debut in the UFC. And let's just be honest about it. Valerio probably makes 20 times more money than Chanel makes, and she has five professional fights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the thing is, I think when you look at the Bellator thing, there's definitely two groups of people. There's the people who are Bellator fighters, and there are people that just happen to be fighting on a Bellator card. And I think he has to refer to the latter group, right? Like those people who are there to sell tickets, they're not Bellator fighters. They're local people that I would assume aren't getting the best of paydays. That has to be what he's talking about, but that doesn't make up 90% of a fight card. No, I mean, basically what it is for a lot of those guys, it's usually a, a one-fight deal with an option for two more fights. Um, and obviously, for the last year and a half, Bellator hasn't had that. Everyone that's on their cards are fighters that are under multi-fight you know, fight deals with them. Now, you may have a situation where someone clearly got brought in to be the B side of the fight, but it's just one of these things of Matt Schnell, like, bro, like, whoever's giving you information is feeding you fake news, bro. Like, Bellator is paying fighters a great amount of money, and it's, it's just like, I'm sitting there going, Hold on, you're defending the UFC paying fighters to start 12,000 and 12,000? Really, bro? Like, I, I get you want to be the company man. You want to make Uncle Dana happy. I get all that. But there may become a point where, Matt Schnell, you're not a UFC fighter anymore. If you come to me yeah. as another promoter, I'm going, oh, apparently I got to pay you a thousand to show a thousand to win. Yeah, or yeah, 12 and 12, you better be happy. Like, when you. It, it, to me, the issue with this, just when you look at how much money the UFC got on the television deal, it's crazy that the rates of fighter pay didn't jump up at that lower level to me. Because a big part of that massive TV deal is selling content, 
those fighters really provide value there, selling content not only on ESPN+, Plus, but filling up content on ESPN. That's a lot of real money that is already in the UFC's pockets. This isn't a situation where they have a TV deal where they aren't making too much money, which is like literally most of the MA promotions. Either, you know, you know, Bellator isn't making – I'm pretty sure Bellator isn't making any money from a TV deal because they're owned by the company, right? Like they're – their business model is much different yeah, 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 than yeah. other than other MA promotions. So the UFC's got a crap load of money from that TV deal, and, and the fighter pay hasn't jumped up. The fighter pay has still been a small portion of the pie, and it, it, it's just a situation where the fighters are really getting screwed. There's a reason why every single time we have a major fighter fight, fighter pay becomes a part of the discussion. When Israel Adesanya uh, wins and he goes on the MA hour for an hour, Guess what? We're going to have him talking about Francis Ngannou. We're going to have him talking about fighter pay. And that's a consistent thing. We're not talking about football pay after the Super Bowl. We're not talking about baseball. Well, we are talking about baseball pay right now, actually. But that's because there's a lockout. But we're not talking about, you know, NBA salaries during the All-Star break or LeBron's playing, etc. But for the UFC, it's a constant theme. Max Nelson's on the wrong side of history here, but he's trying to suck up to the UFC and get brownie points. But you got to understand, the UFC is ruthless, and, and they will, you know, Joe Rogan's got all the brownie points in the world, but he wasn't on the UFC show this past weekend. Uh, you know what? And I want to mention something about that, but I want one more point I want to yeah. mention about Matt Schnell. If I was doing that interview, my response to him would be, Matt, so you're telling me you're cool that UFC fighters only get 20% of the revenue. Yeah. That's, it, that's, that's it. I, like, look, it was, if you listen to how the questions were asked, it almost seemed like these guys were just Matt's buddies. You know, it, it wasn't a real interview. Now, I, the, the Joe Rogan thing, which, by the way, I think that's probably another WTF of the week of, hey, UFCPR Dana White, can we get on the same page of what is the correct story on, you know, you know, it was, what was it, Friday it comes out that Joe's not going to be working the show, Michael Bisping's going to be filling in for him, and there's a, a UFC PR statement that comes out, says he's got a scheduling conflict, which I think we all call BS on immediately, and then Dana White, after the fight's over, is like, no, 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 Joe just, didn't want, just elected not to be here, it wasn't, you know, that whole scheduling conflict is BS. I'm like, bro, your own PR department put it out there. But I, I've been thinking about this a lot. And by the way, hey, MMA websites, I don't want to go on your website and read some political commentary about Joe Rogan. I'm not coming to your website for political commentary. If I want political commentary, I'll go to a CNN, Fox News, something along those lines. But to me, I think it's maybe I'm wrong here. I don't know if Joe's addressed it or not. I almost kind of feel like Joe decided not to do the show because he didn't want the spotlight on him. He wanted the spotlight to be on the fighters. Yeah, that and that's a big reason. I would assume so because he this past week was a he was still a part of the focus. People were still talking about him in a major way, and I do think if he did the UFC pay per view, there's a possibility the spotlight would have remained on him. Maybe it wouldn't have. It does seem like he's petered out because, you know, we could enter a World War Three. I think World War Three has now superseded Joe Rogan, but uh, just by a tad hit, just by a little hair. But I think it was a situation where Joe Rogan sensed that the uh, spotlight was really on him for better or for worse. And he decided to take a step back. And I think it was probably a smart move, but it was a move that was incredibly transparent as to what happened. I mean, it wasn't – it was about as transparent as Dana White uh, not being there in the, in the octagon for Francis Ngannou, you know? 
Yeah, even uh, Habib talking about that in an interview uh, overseas, which, you know, it's... Uh, it, by the way, it's very interesting. Uh, Eagle FC's got a card this week. Man, there's like no media coverage for it. The, who's, uh, is there it's, anybody on the card that's good? It's, it's in Russia. It's, so it's a bunch oh. of Russian fighters. <laughs> oh, no, Russia. Yeah, that's, that seems like a good idea at the moment. Uh, to probably to not send uh, media uh, to uh, Russia. Uh, no offense to Russia. Don't want to get any heat from anybody in the world. Don't want anyone mad at me. I just want to sell some ads. But uh, here's my WTF moment of the week. And it's WTF. Who in their right mind would troll Kevin Holland and then agree to go to the gym with him? Like, I'm looking at Kevin Holland, who now two times now has met up with the, uh, 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 a troll and gone to the gym and beat him up in some sparring. And I'm just looking at these, and these DMs are crazy. Like, these dudes are looking thirsty for, for a night with, with Kevin Holland in the, in the gym, and I don't get it. it. It's a phenomenal concept, but WTF, it, it's great content, but I just can't wrap my head around these guys who are just messaging Kevin Holland and being like, where you at, P-word? I'm ready to fight, P-word. You're scared. Be like, just who's calling out Kevin Holland like that? Dude, you're Kevin Holland. You got you got to get that OnlyFans page counted going. He's talked about he was going to open one up. That's where you just do it. You 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 set yeah, some. Yeah, you know, you he, say, he hey, uh, you know, you're going to pay me 25 bucks a month. I'm going to live stream when the trolls come in, think they can beat me up in the gym. Yeah, that he does have an OnlyFans. It's free if you want to subscribe. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, what's interesting is when I watch it, he like never smiles, but the the person he's beating up is smiling after he, they get their butt whipped. But yeah, that was a little WTF moment because it's only an MMA when we have an MMA fighter beat up on trolls. I know it, it is amazing. Now, before we get into what happened, UFC 271, do want to let you hear the conversation that I had with John Castaneda. Got a win two weeks ago against Miles. John had a chance to uh, catch up with him, talk to him about about the victory, and uh, talk about his timeline for his next matchup. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who is coming off a submission victory, John Castaneda. John, congratulations on the victory. First off, you've now won back-to-back fights here. Uh, obviously, it's it's as we're talking, it's just been about a week since the fight has taken place. I'm I'm sure you've kind of gone back and you know you looked at the you know the pros and cons of the fight. What's your overall uh, as you think about the fight? Like, is there something immediately that sticks out to your mind about it? Yeah, no, for sure. First and foremost, Jason, thanks for having me on the on the podcast here. Um, and, and on topic of the fight, I think that there was for sure pros and cons to it. Um, pros, I would say the biggest pro that I took away from that fight was just being able to stick to my game plan, um, make a make a good game plan, and kind of stick to it, which was um, trying to nullify his power, his 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 knockout shots, and kind of stay in his face, um, stay in his face, and pressure forward the entire fight. Um, I. I from recent fights of his, I, I've noticed and me and my coaching kind of dissected that he really, he's strong. He, he starts a little bit strong um, in the cardio department. And then as the fight goes on, he, it kind of just kind of just declines. Yeah. Um, he's always, he was always kind of, he, he, that's the type of fighter he is, is he tries to set up, he tries to set up those power shots. So he'll try to bait you in almost like, uh, Michael Bisping was saying in the commentary during our fight, he's, he's letting the other person lead the dance only to quickly strike with something powerful. And we kind of, we dissected that right away. Um, when we watched some of his fights and we kind of, we nullified that, you know, staying responsible, especially from a Southpaw stance. So most of his power shots are coming from a, a right hand, right overhand or straight, right. And so that was kind of like, 
fighting him in Southpaw was was the game plan as well, just so I could see his power shots kind of aligned right in front of me. So it was good. Uh, that's definitely the pros. Um, some of the cons that I would say was just um, I was having success. I was having a lot of success with just my straight left hand. Uh, but going back and watching on it, I would like to, you know, as – as I fight better, better, better and better boxers, better and better guys with, uh, with good cardio or better cardio, sorry, that straight left hand isn't going to just land all the time. And I think that I, I caught myself throwing it just by itself because it was, I was having success with it, but in the future and kind of th- these next few weeks, I want to really focus on, on, uh, making that the ending, the ending shot of a combination, you know, whether it be two or three strikes and then ending it with the left hand or, um, anything like that. So, you know, watching the fight, I remember that. I, I, I don't know if it was second round, maybe earlier on the third round. I, it was very clear that the gas tank was winding down. For you, as you're in that position, is it more about, okay, I, what we thought it was going to happen is happening, and it's just about being, you know, pr- precision with what, how to, you know, go balls to the wall to try to get the finish? No, for sure. I think that um, – you know, even just going back, let's just say like two years, if, if I would have noticed that in a fight, if I would have noticed two years ago that my opponent was getting gassed or that I hurt my opponent, I would have been like, man, right in his face, like, you know, boom, 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 let's finish this right here and now. But I think that also goes to show just how much um, experience plays a factor in this. I, I, I think that over so many fights, I've learned to be a patient fighter. And I knew that this was going to go a little bit past, you know, the the first and the second round so um as he started to kind of diminish i was able to just be patient and like i said stick to that game plan and that was definitely a perk and it was your first fight in almost a year to to the day just about two weeks uh coming up on that year anniversary i mean obviously you're supposed to have that fight uh you know didn't play, take place last year against ronnie lawrence um like you know was it one of those things of like it was like you just you were itching to get in there you know did you did you kind of feel like the the year you know it's like yeah it has been a while since i've been in here Absolutely. And honestly, I think there was just a lot of pressure riding on that on the time off as well, because you can't come, you can't go in there and take a whole year off and then come, come back and put on a poopy performance. You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta go in and and that was part of the confidence to it. You know, not only the, not only did my confidence come from my preparation because I worked hard this camp, but also just like the, like you said, the aspect of me being late, um, basically, you know, on the couch for, for a full year, not literally, but metaphorically, you know? And so coming off, I needed to put on a strong showing. And that's, I think that's what I did. You know, as you now move past this fight, I mean, I'm I'm sure you've probably used this week to, to rest up the body a little bit after, you know, a hard training camp and a hard fight. But uh, is there a timeline for you of, of when you'd like to get him back there? Or, you know, as we're talking, UFC 271 is tomorrow where there may be some fires on that car that that's got your attention. Yeah, well, I know. I mean, I think you know that Ronnie Lawrence, the guy who I was supposed to fight, is fighting tomorrow. Um, also, I, I honestly, I, I, I'm having a blank as to who he's supposed to fight. Um, he's fighting but, uh, Mana Martinez. Yes, that's right. Yep. And then Marcelo Rojo, you know, somebody that I've already I've already fought is fighting Kyler Phillips. You know, I, I guess in. in on the topic of tomorrow's card, there's really not no, there's really nobody that like sticks out right away. I, I had a pre- previous interview um, right after the fight, and they basically asked me the same thing. You know, well, who who are you looking forward to fighting next? Whatever, whatever. And I think that you know it takes. A, I think you got to earn the shot to be able to call your own fights and kind of call people out. But I did mention a name, and and this there's no disrespect behind it, but Cody Garbrandt. 
Um, the only reason why I want to fight Cody Garbrandt is because I look up to him. I, I, I idolize him growing up. I, I watched him. And when he fought Dominic Cruz, I, I told myself like, wow, that's like pound for pound, one of the best fighters in the world. And, you know, not, not, not to say that I've, I've, I'm deserving of a shot against him, but if I, if I could have like a fantasy fight, who would I fight? Be Cody Garbrandt for sure. And like I said, no disrespect to him. It's just, um, an idolized thing. You know, I, I, I think that he's a, he's a great fighter and, and, you know, I think that it'd be a good fight. It'd be a good banger for sure. Is really the mindset in terms of this year is just, uh, you know, staying active. Would that be about the best way for you? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry, you, you had mentioned that earlier and I forgot to touch base on that. So I think that for sure, the mindset is to stay active, stay healthy and stay active. Um, ideally, if it were up to me, I would like to get in at least two more this year, one right before summer, or if not even during the summer, and then one at the end of the year. So, you know, two, uh, three fights for me a year is, is pretty good and it's still pretty active. So then coming out of the, you know, coming out of 2022 with a couple of UFC fights would be ideal. How'd you celebrate the victory? Uh, we went to this, me and my coaches and my teammate, we went to uh, spaghetti Western. It's just this pizza place in okay. Vegas. I w- it was recommended by a friend of mine. And then right after that, I went home and I was um, contemplating going to go do some laundry because I had a week's worth of training. laundry. Uh, but I, I held off on it. I was way too tired. I honestly, I just took a little uh, melatonin and took, went to sleep for like 12 hours. Is so. <laughs> uh, is like pizza, the, uh, the go-to cheat meal for you. Listen, let me tell you, I had the night after my victory, or I'm sorry, the night of my victory, I had pizza. And then the next, the following two days, I had pizza as well. So yeah, I I, I think pizza is definitely the, the celebratory food for sure. But I've already toned it down where, you know, we're back on the clean eating for now. <laughs> so so did you did you step on the scale at some point to say, okay, let me see how much I put on? You know what I did, and and as of this morning, I'm 162. But I think most of that is sodium and and water weight. I think once, like I said, now that I'm back on on my clean eating mode, I think I'll give just right back to 155 in in a couple of days. So, and really, is it right now just about just getting back in the room and and just helping the guys that have been helping you out the past couple of weeks? Yeah, I think um, I was actually I actually went to training. So we here at the Minnesota Martial Arts Academy, we have like specific days where it's grappling days and striking days and Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays are grappling days. Tuesdays and Thursdays are more so geared towards the stand-up, striking, boxing, Muay Thai. So, um, I, I got back to Minnesota on Sunday and then that very next Monday I went into train. Uh, I trained on Monday and Wednesday. Um, you know, I think that it's a good look. I think I, I'm, I'm not beat up by any means, you know what I mean? But also guys on the team, they see that and they, I feel like they get motivated by that. You know what I mean? This guy just fought two days ago and he's already in here grappling with us. So I did go in and I grappled a good amount, but you know, I, I think sparring wise, there's no need for the sparring right now. You know, I just got put in a fight. I just got in a fight two days ago. I don't need to be taking any more damage right now. So maybe in, in a sense of the sparring and the, the, uh, that kind of trauma. Yeah. I'll probably take the, the rest of the week off, but start, starting next week, we're back into full gear. Uh, a question I've been asking some fighters just to kind of, you know, because obviously every fighter's going to have a different answer. Uh, influences on your career. Like, as you think about the greatest influences that you've had and, and to where you've, you know, gotten to this point, is, is there someone that sticks out in your mind? Um, I would just say, to be honest, like the first thing that, when you asked that, the first thing that popped into my mind is just, is my mother. Um, it, it, I guess in a, you know, she's not, she obviously hasn't been a great influence in, uh, in the realm of mixed martial arts. You know, I don't idolize her, her martial arts skills, but I think that a lot of the time 
even leading up, to, even like as I was walking into this, into the cage on this past Saturday night, I was just thinking about my mom and I was just, I was like, you know, I, I, I love my mom and I, anything that I do in life, I, I, it's, it's family oriented and it's, I'm always thinking about my family. And so I, I remember telling myself like, I, you know, if I win this fight, it's going to set me up for a better contract and then I'll be able to help my mom out financially, you know, stuff like that. I'm always thinking about my mom, my family, I would say the biggest influence into my career and, and just trying to be, I guess, more, more and more financially stable and reliable is just family, family in general, but my mom more specifically. Um, I, I did an interview right after my fight. Um, MMA isn't really all I do. So I work, I work full time. I work 40 to 50 hours a, a week and then I'm still able to train 30 to 40 hours of high level training at the Academy. So I'm busy. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I don't really sleep all that much, but you know, I, I, I grew up, I come from a poor family. I grew up, I grew up poor. And mm-hmm. so, um, to me, that's like motivation. You know, I I've been poor and I never want to be poor again. So I think that's kind of like my, my, where my, my hard work ethic comes from, um, the constant need and almost like desire to just always be generating income, whether it be while I'm training, obviously knowing that I'm going to prep for a fight or whether it be when I'm not training, you know, working throughout the week and stuff like that. So always just being responsible, being, being smart with my money and in hopes of, you know, one day being able to just provide a hundred percent for my mom and my family. So that leads me to think has mom ever offered some criticism on your fight. Yeah. Uh, nothing, no criticism, but she just on a, on a general aspect, she doesn't, she hates that I fight. She, she, she's a hundred percent supportive for sure. Mm-hmm. But she, you know, as any mother, she's always worried about me getting hurt and stuff like that. I think leading up to the fight, the week of the fight, I think she asked me maybe like 30 or 40 times, like, John, you're going to be okay. Right. Like you're going to be okay. <laughs> this fight. Right. And, you know, just my mom being protective, loving, but you know, also caring. So, you know, I love, I love the woman to death, but she's definitely like my idol. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear, man. John, as always, man, I appreciate time. Congratulations on the victory. Once again, of course, uh, let me know they can follow you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Uh, no, that's it, Jason. Thank you so much. I did get a new Twitter handle. My Twitter got hacked. Um, now I'm John Castaneda underscore UFC. Otherwise, uh, the same, same Instagram, John Castaneda underscore. Um, appreciate the time, Jason, and uh, have a good day. And that was my conversation with John Castaneda. I appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk to me about his win there at, uh, at the UFC show two weeks ago, the fight night card there at the Apex. He got the win over Miles John. But uh, Daniel, last week it was UFC 271. And, uh, you know, I, I talked about this on my Twitter account that there's a couple times a year that I like to go out to a bar to watch a UFC pay-per-view. Now, if anyone who's listened to the show for a long time, you know I, I work on, on the marketing side in a bar industry and you know every pay-per-view i'm trying to get people to show up to my locations uh to watch the fights but you know every couple times a year i like to do this because um it's a lot of not just me taking in the fights daniel but it's also kind of looking around to see how other people take in the fights because you know what what i'm trying to do in those situations i'm trying to get out of the mma twitter bubble i'm trying to get out of the quote unquote MMA culture, you know, because there's times I see people talk about MMA and I'm like, man, you are so stuck in the bubble. You don't get out of the culture. You don't get out of this Twitter bubble. And um, it was funny. I had a buddy coming in town 
We went out for the fights, and uh, I told another buddy of mine, I'm like, hey, man, we're going to go out for fights. Going to go to the usual bar that I go to. And uh, he's like, hey, man, well, last pay-per-view, it was like staying room only. I was like, oh, crap. You know, get there. And uh, this kind of goes into my two takeaways from the fights. Uh, man, packed, but as the fight went on, the crowd got less and less, and it was very clear who was there uh, to watch the fight. My, my second takeaway, Daniel, was um, the fight that people were most interested in. I guess probably we, we shouldn't be surprised by this. But it was a co-main event of Derek Lewis and Tatu Asa. I mean, I think, look, A, it's two heavyweights that just throw them bungalows. And B, they're, they're two fan favorite guys. Every, you know, I mean, you think about Derek Lewis. How many people on the casual sports side of this equation know Derek Lewis as the guy of my balls are hot? And how many people know Tatu Asa? Hey, that's that guy that drinks beer out of a shoe. Yeah, yeah. These are two guys that that's. How, why they resonate they are fun heavyweights great personalities that are just comical and, and constantly interesting and often put on very great fights and man i i really felt like that middle portion of, of the main card on the pay-per-view is what people will remember from ufc 271 they're going to remember jared cannonier uh with that finish over Derek brunson and they're going to remember most of all Ty tuvasa on the receiving end of a lot of brutal shots from Derek Lewis, showcasing his ability to just stay in a fight and his ability to take one and give one. And for Tuivasa to sleep Lewis like that, it was an iconic moment. And it was a it was a moment that I'm glad happened because people were hungry for it. Unfortunately, they didn't really get out of the main event. But everyone watching that was going to remember that Tuivasa-Derek Lewis fight. The only downside from the UFC is they did a poor job of showing Tuivasa doing shoeies after he won. It was just there. I only saw one on the pay-per-view broadcast. And it was a security guard that was in front of him. I feel bad for that security guard, by the way, as two of us are literally stopping every two seconds to do a shoey as he's trying to give it to the back. But yeah, like you mentioned me in the text message, like, hey, UFC production, how did you not have a camera ready to go as he jumps on the cage? Someone throws him a beer. Like, here's my thing. Was Steve Austin's thrower? Was he at Houston ready to go? I know. Austin's a Texas rattlesnake. He should have been. And they should have been like that because that's what I've. As stupid as it may be, Tai Tuivasa doing a shoey is why people are talking about him. He's also just a phenomenal personality, just a funny guy and a great fighter and a fun fighter to watch. But the shoey is the gimmick. And he had the best win of his career. All he was thinking about and all people were thinking about was the damn shoey. And it just felt like he wasn't put in a position to celebrate in a way that would continue to build up his reputation. Look, if I'm the UFC... I don't think he deserves a title matchup next. I think he probably needs one more win against the top contender. But from a promotional aspect, if I'm the UFC and you're going to do an interim title fight, one guy, you I, you got to put two of us in that fight. And you got to try to capitalize on this as best as you can right now. Hell, hell, even Dana White did a shoey after the fight was over because two of us has created a company called Shoey Vasa. And it's basically like, yeah, it looks like a shoe and it's got a little nozzle on it where you can do a shoey out of this shoe. Genius. Like, I, like, look, it's, I, look, I still think it's, I, I don't understand why you guys spit in it. I mean, look, it's nasty enough that you're pouring a beer in a shoe. First off, that's nasty enough, but I'm like, man, like, why do we got to spit in it? But I mean, this guy, like we were talking before the show, it's like, man, who's the biggest star in the UFC right now? You know, if you don't count Connor, like two of awesome may be in that consideration just because everyone knows him for the guy that drinks a beer out of a shoe. 
Yeah, among heavyweights, he's probably just behind Francis. I mean, he's probably above Stipe Miocic now, who I don't know. I saw he just became a full-time firefighter, so I don't know how that will impact his uh, UFC career. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at an interim title fight, it's like either him versus Stipe, him versus Gon. But we might just see him versus uh, Nganu straight up. I mean, that might just be the next fight, Jason, if Nganu doesn't fight John Jones, if he returns to the UFC. And the one thing I'll say about Tuivasa, you know, there, there's times in combat sports where necessarily the best fighter doesn't win the fight. And I still believe that Derek Lewis is the better fighter. He just got caught. I mean, you, and you got to give Tuivasa all the credit in the world for what he was able to do. Go out there and get the win. Like you mentioned about the main event. It, it, it was a lackluster main event. Let's just be honest about it. I thought Robert Whitaker went in there with a good game plan, you know, and uh, it was interesting listening to Eugene Behrman on Ariel's show on Monday talking about, hey, they were kind of surprised the way Whitaker did fight that one. I didn't understand why Whitaker thought he won three of the five rounds. Um, I thought it was 4-1 Izzy, but I think Izzy's at this point where kind of where Anderson Silva was at one point in his career where he needs a dance partner. He needs his shell Sonnen to help elevate him because right now I just think because of the way Izzy fights I just think that there's a lot of fans that aren't gravitating towards him yeah yeah it's one of those things for Adin Sanya where we've seen a couple times out now where we've got it I mean he's one of the best fighters in the game he's going to go down as an all-time great when you look at his resume currently 22 and 1 a list of impressive wins over great middleweights he, he's 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 impressive. He just is. But, you know, I think we, we get the hype train on Adin Sanya and casual fans get excited and then they buy the pay-per-view and they watch him take on Vittori or or this Whitaker fight or that Yoel fight. And they just it doesn't necessarily confirm what they were expecting. Obviously, Paulo Costa fight. Damn, that was a hell of a memory. But. For Adin Sanya, it's just a situation where when it comes to the pay-per-view main events lately, um, they haven't been the types of fights that elevate his stock in, in the eyes of casual fans. I think as a hardcore fan, you watch this fight and you really appreciate the talent level of Israel Adin Sanya. Robert Whitaker and Adin Sanya, to me, are clearly the one-two at 185. And Adin Sanya's leg kicks, his reach, and his control in the stand-up proportion of this fight – and his ability to really neutralize the wrestling of Robert Whitaker, even when Whitaker scored takedowns, I, I felt like Izzy put himself in a position to where he wasn't scored upon. Uh, I, I just thought this was a real tactical fight for Madden Sanya, but tactical doesn't draw money. And, and this was a moment where, had he knocked out Robert Whitaker, I think the conversation would have been completely different. In terms of the judging of this fight, w- one thing I want to touch on. First off, I did have Izzy winning, but I could see a situation where Robert one, two, four, and five. I like like though that's a possibility. With that being said, the only thing I wanted to mention was I saw Adin Sanya, even in the post fight interview, and he said it a couple times now, where he says, if you want to beat the champion, you gotta take it from me, or something like that, along the lines. The idea is if you are the challenger going up against a champion, you have to go above and beyond to win a fight on the judges' scorecards. And I just want to say that to me is a bunch of malarkey. I don't think that's in the unified rules that the uh champion has to do less than the challenger to win a round. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things uh, Michael Chandler kind of uh, got in the news because of it uh, and uh, with his tweets on Saturday night where he said, uh, he goes, far as dominant as he is, he isn't overly offensive. 
Another tweet goes, we play in a game where we fighting, asking for a friend. Next tweet, touch butt. Uh, the next tweet is, trust me, I love Izzy, but we've gotten to the point where a dominant champion just needs to stand there, throw a few shots per round, and he will not lose unless he gets caught, and he will always get the nod. Izzy got paid on his last contract. Go fight. Don't you dare spar. And, I mean, look, it's, you know, but you could say if maybe Michael Chandler fought more like Israel Adesanya, he's probably the UFC lightweight champion right now. But you know, it's one of those things, like, I, I feel like where Chandler was saying those things, he's speaking as a, a guy paying to watch a fight. And and, and I, I get, I think from a fan's aspect, I get it. But if I'm Izzy, I'm trying to minimize where my opponent can win it. I'll say this for Robert Whitaker. If I'm the UFC, I'm not putting Robert Whitaker against Sean Strickland because I just feel like he'll just take off another contender. I think if I was them, I would do the rematch of Whitaker and Derek Brunson. Obviously, Jared Cannonier is going to be next. We'll see what they do with Sean Strickland. The Cannonier one, I think, becomes interesting because, man, he has got some power in those hands. We, Man, he uh, that, that slow motion of him KOing Derek Brunson on the ground was, man, devastating. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a hell of a knockout, dude. Cannonier, just impressive, and he's a no-doubt middleweight. Like, he, he's, he's put in the work. He just has. His win streak is impressive. I loved his post-fight interview, too. There was so much emotion and passion, and he deserves his opportunity. And I think you bring up a good point. You know, realistically, you look at this top 15, I think Jared has one of the top guys in terms of striking power. There's a couple on here that I would probably say is along his lines, but Cannoneer has a cannon. He, he's just damn impressive, and uh, certainly I, I think he makes an interesting fight. I, I think... Cannoneer Adesanya will be a more entertaining fight than the one we just saw. I think obviously Adesanya is more likely to beat Jared Cannoneer than he is Robert Whitaker, in my opinion. When it comes to potential Chael Sonnens for Adesanya, I, I do think Sean Strickland probably represents the best case at 185 for a guy who could fill that role, largely due to the marketing standpoint. He, he has figured out how to get people to talk about him. That's what Chael did. So I think Strickland actually represents the best opportunity currently amongst the top 15 at 185 to be that Chael Sonnen for Adesanya. They bring up a good point. It's important to protect him because Robert Whitaker, again, wasn't that far off from Israel. He clearly will probably be in that Joseph Benavidez position. Yeah, no question about it. By the way, the biggest winner of UFC 271 may potentially ultimately end up being Bobby Green goes out there and gets the win against Nasca Haparas, and he is stepping up on short notice to now main event next week as he is replacing Benil Dariush against Islam Mahachev. When the news comes out that Dariush is out due to injury and the UFC is looking for a new opponent for Mahachev, I was like, man, I would be shocked if someone in the top 10 steps up on a week's notice to take on Mahachev. You know, the only ones, the names that stuck out to me, maybe in the top 10, that probably would be crazy enough to take that fight. Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler were two of the names that kind of came to my mind. But man, if you're Bobby Green, you're 35 years old, you've been on this nice roll, you know, you know it's a long path at 155 to get to a title. Like, this to me is a no-brainer for Bobby 
uh, Bobby Green. He clearly is going to be a massive betting underdog next week. He's going to have to stop the takedowns. But, man, for where Bobby Green is at this point in his career, this is a no-brainer decision for him to take on Mahachev because, like I said, there's just not people signing up to fight Mahachev, hell, on six weeks' notice, let alone seven days' notice. Yeah, man. I mean, this is a great opportunity for Bobby Green. I mean, this man... I remember watching this dude fight on an affliction card that was headlined by Fedor and Arlovsky. He's 35 years old. Uh, and Arlovsky, ironically enough, was on this card, too, getting a W. But, you know, man, Bobby Green, uh, a, a nice whirlwind of events here. Obviously, Islam's probably going to beat him. He's probably going to wrestle the hell out of him. But, man, Bobby's stand-up looked sharp against Nasrat. And my biggest takeaway from that fight was how behind the crowd was for Bobby Green, man. This crowd was really loud in support of Bobby, and Green really looked like a star, which kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, I mean, look, Bobby is he's got a, he's got a fun fan style, and he talks mad ish. In the, I remember James Krause was telling me, and he and James said he goes, "I love them." He goes, "But yeah, Bobby talks mad trash throughout the entire fight." Yeah, yeah, and uh, it was uh, it was contentious in this one, and and again, I think look stand up wise, if it, he he might have Makachev's number, but that's not how this one's going to play out uh, when he takes on Islam Makachev. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to that fight, and you know, we've seen crazy things happen in this sport for sure. I will say, if you're going to go back and watch one round of any fight on this card, you got to go back and watch round three of Ronnie Lawrence and Mana Martinez. So Ronnie Lawrence is just dominating this fight after two rounds, getting takedowns. He's, he's knocked down Mana Martinez. And James Krause, who is, is now the lead corner for Mana Martinez, after his second round, he basically just says, just throw the kitchen sink at him. What do you got to lose? And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my God, knocks him down multiple times, nearly gets the fish. It would have been an unbelievable turnaround. I would tell you, if you if you want to go back and watch a, one round of any fight from Saturday, that is the round to go watch. That's a good call. And even on those, on those early prelims, that fight between uh, Sergey Morozov and, and Douglas Andrade. I mean, that was the fight of the night, and it deservingly so. It was back and forth. It was a great story with Andrade getting the win in the second round. That was a phenomenal fight. I, I feel like when you look at other stuff that stick out, obviously the other main card fight, Hanado Mokano, just textbook, easy win over Alexander Hernandez. Looked really good at 155. Very emotional interview. Uh, he wants his money. Um, also, uh, Roxanne Manafari. I mean, look, Casey O'Neill. I don't know how the hell you score that fight for Manafari. One judge did. That was really bad. But uh, Casey O'Neill just completely kind of outstruck her uh, in that fight. With that being said, Manafari retires. Manafari is a legend. You know, got to respect Roxanne and what she meant for mixed martial arts. She had a hell of a career. Yeah, I, I will tell you, you go back to that Douglas Silva de Andrade. Uh, so everyone knows I, I do DFS shows. So I've got a crap ton of lineups over on DraftKings. And he was like that underdog guy. I had so much. I was so overweight to the field. And so when he gets that massive cut in the first round, I'm like, oh, crap, man. Here goes all my lineups. And uh, and I was like, but then I was like, oh, it's Texas. They'll let him go. Even though when they went back to the quarter, I'm like, 
holy crap, that's a deep cut. Like, I feel like if we were in another state, that fight potentially is being stopped. Like, hey, we think we might see bone. But no, it goes out there and gets a stoppage win. Jeremiah Wells, start of the fight, circling around the, the cage. Nearly, he, he stumbles. And, and still, against he, Blood Diamond. Yeah. Against Blood Diamond, by the way. What the? There's a guy named Blood Diamond? Yeah, he's on the card because he's, he's Izzy's guy. I, I I couldn't believe that this guy's name is Blood Diamond. I was like, unbelievable. I thought, sure, I thought, yeah, I was just, I was astounded that his name was Blood Diamond. Uh, but yeah, that was a hilarious moment when, like you mentioned, where he just trips over his own feet. And yeah, you know, uh, mad respect to Andre Alaski, man. I mean, this guy just keeps on winning. He just sucks guys into their, I mean, Andre has probably provided zero value to the UFC over the past 10 years, I'll be honest with you. Because I don't know how many times I've seen an Andre Arlovsky fight and been like, that was a good one. But, you know, it's just 15 round grinding out, getting those victories. And mad respect. This dude's a legend too, man. Former UFC heavyweight champion. And, and he just he's just schooling guys with this tactical, patient approach. I think I mentioned this on the show last week. When Arlovsky made his MMA debut, Jared Vandera was six years old. Truly astonishing. And yeah, Arlovsky, 43 years old. He's won three in a row. He's won five of his last six. If I, mean, I told, if I would have told you three years ago that Arlovsky would go on this roll, you would have said, you are effing crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know where I heard it. I wish I would have remembered. Maybe it was on... Uh, Maybe because I feel like I, I had to. I, sometimes I like listen to co-made event podcasts and I get their stuff mixed in with mine. But I feel like I didn't even listen to them this week. But more of the. But anyways, Andre Arlovsky, I thought was going to retire when he was getting knocked out left and right. Like when he was getting knocked out left and right. Like first it was the Fedor fight, and then he fought Brett Rogers, and then Karatanov knocked him out. So that was 2009 to 2011. After that, I thought our lobster's career was completely done. That was 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Yeah, I, I remember that time. Everyone's like, Andre, man, you need to retire. You need to retire. This dude is still going out there doing it. It'd be interesting to see uh, what the UFC does with him. Uh, Jacob Alcuna, I think, is another one to mention. Uh, you know, didn't first round didn't go well for him, but used his wrestling in, in the second and third round. Um, you know, th- there's deficiencies you see there on the feet. That's why I kind of feel like his next matchup will probably be against a wrestler uh, to see what he's there. But that uh, is UFC 271. Of course, uh, UFC's got a card here coming up this weekend. UFC Vegas 48. We'll talk about that here here in a moment but i do want to let you hear my next interview it is with a fighter who is now in the ufc as he secured a contract there at fac number 12 a part of dana white's looking for a fight josh Frem. i've had him on the show before uh, of course uh, coming coming off this win he had competed in lfa before so here's my conversation with josh Frem. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who scored a second round victory, FAC number 12, and he is now a UFC fighter, Josh Trim. Josh, appreciate time. Uh, going back and watching the fight, uh, were you expecting to see Joel just come out and uh, come firing at you right as that bell sounded? Nah, man, I was not. The last thing I was expecting was him to actually try and throw his hands. So that took me off guard for a second. I was expecting him to come out and just start blasting kicks to my body and my legs. 
But um, yeah, that caught me off guard. Very apparent. <laughs> it, it, it just seemed like, and obviously you, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but it just kind of felt like the first round you were you were trying to figure out that range because he did have a little bit of a reach advantage on you. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say so much as the range as I was just trying to wake up. I don't know why I was uh, so hesitant and so slow. Like looking back, I saw every punch that was thrown, I just didn't move my head or I leaned a certain way. And I was throwing my, my right hand. Like I was throwing a, a ball to first base. Like I was just throwing it like a baseball. I don't understand why. Uh, I got cracked a couple times and thankfully in the second round, like in between rounds, I was kind of like breathing, doing what I'm supposed to do. And then it just finally, it felt like horse blinders. Everything kind of just zoned in and I knew what I had to do. And I I attribute that to just waking up. Yeah. I was kind of wondering like, you know, because after that first round, there's a shot where the camera's looking straight at you and and coach Mark is, is giving his instructions. Was it, was there something that he said that was, was kind of helped you turn things around there? Yeah, I mean, just hearing Mark and my other corner, Randy, in there just giving me sound advice. Like, they don't waste time by saying unnecessary words. They say exactly what needs to be done, and that's it. And I took the – they were making sure I was breathing, and we did – we went back to our breathing that we always work on. And, and like, once I got a hold of my breath, once I figured out and calmed down, like I said, I just zoned in, and everything became clear to me. You mentioned about, you know, just that that slow start. Is – as you look back on it, is there maybe signs that like even in the back when you're warming up that just something didn't feel right? No, everything, everything was fine. I, uh, I told, I, like, I tell everyone that I felt nervous. Yeah. But as soon as I walked through that curtain and I started walking down the ramp, I felt free. I was like, all right, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I love to do. It felt like everything was going to go perfect the bell rang, everything was fine. And I just, I don't know. It was just like, I couldn't pull the trigger or I was thinking too much of what I needed to do instead of just letting my mind go and be free. Like I drill this stuff every day. I do this every day. I, was, I think I was just trying to do too much in the moment. And you end up getting the submission, no hooks in. Like what was it? <laughs> Even on the broadcast, they were talking about that. They're like, Oh, he doesn't got any hooks in. And but you had it locked in there. Uh, yeah. w- was there a moment when you, did you realize, like, I mean, obviously there was a transition where you were started trying to get the hooks in, but you didn't yeah. you need to get him in. No, I mean, uh, credit to Molina and Marquez, you know, they're, they're just doing their job as commentators. Yeah. Normally you have to have the hooks in, but, Unless, you know, if you go back and watch it, this is, I attribute this to Scotty Miller, my jiu-jitsu coach, and my longtime jiu-jitsu coach who I've always worked with was Michael Demko back in Pittsburgh. When you lift someone and return them to the ground, especially after I hit him, I knew he was dazed. When you return him to the mat, if you saw that before his shoulders or head even hit the mat, I'm punching my right hand across his arm his head I'm always looking for a choke I'm always looking to strangle someone or take their breath and I locked that in and I was able to gable grip it at first and then I readjusted my forearm and then once I punched it in and locked my hand I mean Scotty Miller taught me that hands down you don't need your hooks in you got that sunk in and you know the correct way to finish a choke you don't need your hooks and you wrote on Instagram, you said, Sunday was surreal. T- 
time to go make a statement. So, uh, you know, following the win, and then, of course, everyone knows that you, you got signed by the UFC. Like, a, as you think about what Sunday was like, is how do you describe it? Uh, it's, it's, it's all hindsight, you know. Um, I thought that when I lost the LFA title shot that, it was going to take a long, another hard, long road to get back to where I needed to be because, you know, it's just always been my career. It's always been my life. I'm not the first pick. I'm not like, I'm not going to be that top blue chip press uh, prospect that you're looking at all the time. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fall, but that just, it's attributed to my work ethic and being able to win and have everything in that moment happen and the way it happened and, it just, it goes to show you that you just can't quit because that moment for me at the time for the LFA title shot wasn't my time for whatever reason I prepared correctly. I did everything that I was supposed to do professionally and it just wasn't my time, I guess. And now things you keep working hard and I guess this was my time, you know, I, it just, I don't know how to explain it or the way things and the way the world works, but I'm glad it worked out, you know? You know, going into this card, you know, I, I remember, you know, because obviously it was well, you know, documented that, you know, Dana White was going to be, you know, filming, looking for a fight there and and all that. And I, and I remember I look in the card and I'm like, OK, Josh has to be one of the guys that's got to be one of the favorites if he goes out there and gets the victory. It, it kind of made me think about it. Did you did you feel any different heading into this one as opposed to the LFA title fight? Uh no, I don't, I don't want to say no. I don't want to say that I felt any different because I guess I, I, I always have a chip on my shoulder. For some reason, I always feel like I'm being set up, you know, like, oh, maybe this reason, that reason. Oh, they, they want me here. They want me to lose or something like that. I just went in there with a complete thought process of I'm going to get into a fight. There is no Dana White. There is no Nelk Boys. What I've wanted to do since I was in high school, since I was a kid, is to fight under the bright lights in front of a bunch of people. And FAC had a freaking amazing venue. The lights were bright. The stage was amazing. And I just wanted to go out and perform. And that's the only pressure I put on myself was just to go do what I love to do. I'm sure you've gone back and you've you've evaluated your own performance. Are you more of the guy that looks at the cons as, uh, as opposed to the pros? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, I got to walk around with this black eye now. I, I go into, you know, the gas station and I'm scaring little children. Like, yeah, I got to go back and I got to, I got to rethink some things. I got to learn to do other things and not, you know, there's just a lot of things that I know personally that I need to get better at because you get to the UFC, that, that stuff's not going to fly. So I got to go and clean some stuff up for sure. You just don't put the sunglasses on when you walk inside the store. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, then I'm that weirdo that wears my sunglasses indoors. You know, it's a lose lose. Yeah, as someone who has worked many of uh, club nights, yes, uh, I'm very familiar with the person <laughs> wearing sunglasses in the club. And it's very soon, uh, but obviously, you know, now you know, me, being a UFC fighter, I mean, it, it is a simple is a timeline. You know, hey, you know, I, hopefully, you get a six eight week camp as opposed to maybe something short nose comes up. Uh, I we don't live like that out here in Colorado. This is a lifestyle. And I'll be prepared. If you want to give me six weeks, cool. You want to give me two weeks, cool. A week, I can do it. I'm, I live around my my fight weight. I used to blow up in between camps. I used to do all that. 
But since I moved out here to Colorado, like it is a very professional uh, setting out here, and I treat it as such. I gotta imagine that you at least get a good cheat meal after the fight's over, though, right? You know, I did get a couple, uh, some good burgers in. I got some, I eat steak all the time, no matter what, but I'm even, I'm still eating the same thing. I eat in and out of camp, rice, chicken, some arugula, you know, chipotle, cadoba, cava, they're all the same thing. So I eat pretty much the same every day. So if we're having, do we have a uh, particular cut of steak we like? Oh, filet mignon, dude. I can cook. <laughs> I'm a very good. I'm very good on the grill. I love cooking up steak, chicken, a shrimp. I love it. Yeah, I mean, do we, do we like? See, I'm a I'm a marinate the steak kind of guy. You like to marinate? Oh I like yeah. To marinate some days, other days it depends on uh, like how froggy I'm feeling, how much time I got. Now, now, when it comes to your cooking habits, are we just the grill, or, or does cooking uh, traits come into the actual kitchen as well? Oh, they definitely come into the kitchen. Uh, my grandma, I grew up with my grandma, and she's taught me the ins and outs of the kitchens, of baking and everything, yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, you, uh, you of course, train there in, in Colorado. Are you, did you get a chance to go home? Uh, no, I haven't. I mean, I'm technically home in Colorado right now, but I haven't been able to get back to Pittsburgh just yet. Uh, my girl, she's flying back this weekend for drill in pittsburgh for the military uh i have to stay home i have to stay here with the dogs because we just paid to board them last week it's just it's expensive to board dogs so i'm gonna uh, yeah I'm gonna a trip to go home for sure here soon uh yeah i'm very familiar with that because we we don't like to go out of town and, and think we have family local and take care of our dog but yeah we, we looked at the what that cost yeah that ain't cheap <laughs> Oh, that's a kind of a business that I need to get into with all this money. I'm eventually going to win. And, and I'm too fancy. Like, no, man, my dog needs his own suite. He can't be living right? with other ones, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. You got to make sure that they're taken care of. Exactly. Exactly. Josh, man, as always, uh, appreciate time. Of course, uh, let me know that you can find you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Uh, yeah, you guys can check me out on Josh Fremd MMA on Instagram, Josh Fremd on Twitter. Those are usually where I uh, roam around on social media. Uh, I want to thank you, man, for giving me the time and this platform to always t- uh, kick it with you. It's always fun. And that was my conversation with Josh Trim. I appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk to me about his win there at FAC number 12, part of Dana White's looking for a fight. So he's now in the UFC. So we'll see when he does make his UFC debut. But uh, Daniel, UFC Vegas number 48 is this weekend. Of course, it's a fight card that went through some changes. Initially going to be headlined by RDA and Raphael Fazeev. However, that fight has now been moved to the pay-per-view next month due to visa issues with Raphael Faziz. So now Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill is now the main event of this fight card. You know, this fight card has gone through several changes. Kyle Dawkins now taking on Jamie Pickett. Uh, you know, there's been some other changes on this card as well. Jonathan Pierce has a new opponent. Christian Rodriguez as we do the show here on Thursday night. Of course, the weigh-ins are tomorrow morning. Hopefully, uh, we don't lose any more fights. But, you know, when I, I was looking at this fight card initially, Daniel, the fight that stuck out to me was Joaquin Buckley versus Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Uh, just because of style, I did find it interesting that Buckley has been doing some work out in Extreme Couture uh, there in Las Vegas. But, uh, you know, when we talk about going to breaking news in the sport, we go to TMZ, right? Yes, sir. So uh, Joaquin Buckley is going to have someone very interesting in his corner on Saturday night. I don't know if you uh, saw this one. So you know that viral video of the uh, the like the cop self defense guy. 
Yes. The he, guy who, like, he just be... He yes. is going to be in Joaquin Buckley's corner, according to TMZ. Wow. That is interesting. I'm excited to... So, this is like this is a bad idea. Yeah. So his name is Commander Dale Brown. So this is what uh, it said. Uh, it said uh, this is the article from TMZ. Cancel Saturday's main event and give Joaquin Buckley the W. Because TMZ Sports has learned that viral DUST self defense star Commander Dale Brown is cornering the UFC star at UFC Fight Night. And let's be honest, he ain't losing with Commander Brown by his side. The soon to be fourteen and four MMA fighter recently hit up Brown, known for his all. Awesome viral self-defense videos and actually traveled to his Detroit urban survi- surviving training school last month to learn some moves. FYI Brown's popularity exploded after Odell Beckham Jr. paid tribute to him during the NFL season, mimicking one of the commanders move after scoring a touchdown. <laughs> and uh, it goes on to say uh, there, there's a quote in this one uh, from Brown where he says, super excited honor to be chosen by a respected, talented pro MMA fighter has so impressed by my urban survival tactical training system after he tested it and that he wanted me on his team as his first survival tactics cornerman. I've got to put all the money <laughs> on Riz, on Al Hassan. I mean, I mean, geez, dude, like if you're, if you're, this is amazing, but if you are like going mid fight camp to get self-defense training from this dude, while Rizak's out here, just grinding in his fight camp, I'm picking the other guy. You know, I'm sorry, but I'm picking the other. I'm picking. I'm picking Al Hassan. I mean, you're you're, you're a hater. You're a hater. I'm not a hater. <laughs> Yo, I am a hater. I'm a realist. Look, you only have 24 hours every single day. You only have so much time to prepare for a fight. If you're bringing this dude in your corner and you're investing all this time learning these these self defense techniques, I'm picking the other guy. So this is a phenomenal thing that you informed me on, and I'm excited to see the walkout. But uh, you know, the thing with Joaquin Buckley is, you know, we really got introduced to him in the Bellator, and he has been a completely different fighter in the UFC. I do wonder with being at Extreme Couture, you know, the game plan to beat Al Hassan to me is not to sit there and have a kickboxing matchup. It's for him to utilize his wrestling. But you know, when I look at this fight card, I mean, look. Overall, this weekend of combat sports, it's not a on paper a sexy fight card weekend. Let's just be honest about it. when we look at whether we're looking at the UFC card, you're looking at the Bellator card. Hell, there may be people more interested in Mike Perry, Julian Lane than they're interested in Johnny Walker, Jamal Hill, Neiman Gracie versus Logan Story. Which look, we got to mention this. All Bellator main events in 2022 are five round fights. So this is the first non-title fight that we'll see as a uh, 25 minute fight between Neiman Gracie and, and Logan Storley. But I mean, look, it's as I was looking at fights. Okay, you know, I was like, okay, Buckley Al Hassan could be a very interesting fight on this card. You know, Walker and Hill. I mean, it, the, to me, the thing about Johnny Walker ultimately comes is you know this is a guy that has made his way to multiple gyms over the past couple of years. He's settled over there at SBG, which is kind of a little weird as a light heavyweight that that's where you'd want to go. Um, I, I do like Jamal Hill to win this matchup, but look, we've seen Johnny Walker go out there and, and land that quick knockout punch, though. So, I mean, look, it's, you know, the, the only thing is like, you know, his last fight was not the most exciting fight there against Tiago Santos. So it's just like when I look at that main event for UFC on Saturday, I just, it's just not a sexy main event to me. Yeah. And the rest of this card isn't very sexy either. I mean, I remember when we were talking about Strickland Hermanson's card, and I was like, this will probably be the worst card of the year. And like, 
three, two weeks later, I think we have a, another card that's worse. I mean, we really do. And I mean, the reason why this isn't a sexy main event is you already told us this wasn't supposed to be the main event, but this is what happens when you put a one to two fight card and this would have been a nice little co-main event. Both Johnny Walker and Jamal Hill are fun light heavyweights. Hill's my pick here. He, to me, of the two is clearly on the rise, but I'm not looking forward to this fight card. This fight card does not a lot for me. It's probably a slightly better card than the Hermanson Strickland one. I feel like on a fight-per-fight basis, the talent level is higher. But, yeah, like, the most exciting thing is, like, Buckley and Hassan, the main event, and, like, watching Jim Miller fight again. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think it's just not in Jim Miller's DNA to go out there and have a boring fight. I mean, look, you know, it's just crazy. 39th UFC fight for Jim Miller uh, has a chance to win back to back fights for the first time since 2019 when he beat Jason Gonzalez and Clay Guida. Um, you know, he's coming off a performance of the night knockout there. Um, Nicholas Moto, see what whether he can do there. Uh, I From the betting side of it, I really like Parker Porter against Alan Boudot. I, I, yeah, I think he's, he's a good one there to pay attention to um you know i mentioned to see jay perron who has stepped up here on short notice uh he's gonna be taking on mario batista uh jay is a northeast fighter uh he made the transition to las vegas a year ago training at syndicate mma he was actually supposed to defend his ces title next month uh, before he got this opportunity but i mean yeah it's it's just not the sexiest car yet you know i i do think there are some names that i would pay attention to on this car kyle Dawkins, i think is one of them david onama to me is another one on this card. Uh, Jonathan Pierce, I think, would be another fighter on this card. Like as you're looking at, you know, kind of some guys who are, who are making their way up that UFC roster. Those are the names that stick out to me. Yeah, especially Jonathan Pierce. I, mean, I think he set up to look pretty good against Christian Rodriguez, and I think that's definitely a name you circle. And, and this is a fight card where we will have some very impressive performances. We will probably have quite a few finishes on this fight card, and you know, we'll have something to talk about. But yeah, all in all, just uh, I would say a thumbs down to this fight card. And, you know, for Bellator, it's definitely better for sure. It's a fight card I'm looking forward to more. Yeah, I mean, we, we had Logan Storley on, on the show last week. The main event, I mean, look, I would... I, I, Bellator hasn't come out and said that this is a, a number one contender fight. I think it's probably going to see how does this fight play out and then probably also how does the Douglas Lima Jason Jackson fight play out in March will be the co-main event of the uh, Amosov and, and Page card there in, in London. But I mean, look, it's jujitsu versus wrestling. It is going to be interesting to me to see if Logan Storley does try to take this one to the ground. I mean, look, if I'm a part of that Sanford M- uh, camp, I'm telling him, like, let's keep this thing on the feet, you know, and I kind of got that indication that he wants to show off his hands in this matchup. I just don't think, like, wh- why do you want to go into that territory? I understand you're an amazing wrestler, but if you decide to try to take this thing to the ground, like, you're going into Neiman Gracie's world. Why would yeah. you do that? Yeah, whenever you have the last name Gracie, you just don't go down with that dude, even if you're a strong wrestler, and especially if it's a 25-minute fight. Uh, you could try and outpoint him, but it's just a bad, bad idea, uh, especially early on. Man, the stand-up in this fight is going to be interesting to call. It's too close for me to call, actually, because I feel like Neiman's stand-up has improved over time, and it's not like Logan Storley is a, a top-flight kickboxer. 
I, I will say this, this card in the co-main event, it, you got Andre Koreshkov, which I think has kind of become a forgotten guy at 170 pounds just because, you know, the last time we saw him there uh, was back in, in August of last year where he got the win there against Sabah Hamasi. And, and I was thinking about this because I, I was listening to John Morgan's podcast and, and Morgan was talking about how he's a voter now in the UFC rankings and, and he was going down his heavyweight rankings. And I was thinking... With there being a spotlight here at 170 pounds, I think next week on the show, I want to break down how I rank 170 in the Bellator rankings. Okay. That sounds like a good conversation. And I think, uh, look, I think Kreshka's going to either stay in the same spot or move up one. You know, he's he's favored in a big way over Chance re, re, encounter. Yeah. And uh, I think Kreshka's just going to put him away. Uh, you know, Storley Gracie. I'm picking Storley in this fight. Really? Yeah, I, okay. I, I, I think I, I like Neiman Gracie. I, I like what I've seen on Neiman Gracie in terms of, of the the hands. Um, I, I think for me, it it ultimately comes down to this question mark of can Logan Storley win a fight? Now, I mean, the great equalizer could be with this being a 25 minute fight. Maybe those extra 10 minutes potentially is the advantage Logan Storley needs. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe at that point you do feel more confident in your ability not to get tapped out. And maybe your ability to land grounded pound. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think, um, look, I, I'm picking this fight because I, I'm picking the guy who I think can control where the fight plays out. The problem for Logan might be he might lose it either way against Neiman Gracie. I'm still hedging on the idea that Logan's stand up might be able to allow him to outpoint Gracie. But this is a very fluid situation. We've seen great development out of Neiman, and Neiman knows what Logan's going to. Neiman knows Logan's a hell of a wrestler, so you got to think that it has to have been a focus to upgrade the stand-up. Well, I mean, I also for me, I, I look at it and say, "Is man, if you're Logan and you do shoot, you got to watch your neck when you go in for those takedowns and potentially not get stuck uh, in a guillotine." Uh, also, this main car will have Georgia Carahanian on the card, going to be taking on Adam Piccolotti. This was a fight that was supposed to take place last year, and I had a chance to uh, catch up with Georgia Carahanian to talk about his matchup here against Adam Piccolotti. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man you're going to see a part of Bellator 274. Georgia Carhagen takes on Adam Piccolotti. Of course, this is a matchup that was supposed to take place a while ago, uh, Georgie. So I, I guess I'll just kind of start off there, man. Like As you think about your mindset of how you thought that fight was going to go back when this fight was initially fight to now here, has your mindset changed at all? Enough. I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like it did. Because we're in a different place, uh, I mean, a lot of months away. Because we're supposed to fight, I, we're supposed to fight in the past, and never happened. So uh, right now, I'm just happy. Uh, you know, uh, we're both. You know, I mean, we still have to take a lot of tests. So I, I can't, I can't talk too early because we have a lot of. We already did the COVID test earlier. Uh, yes, uh, two days ago. So we gotta do it again when we get there. So with all this COVID stuff, it's so. It's it's everything is in the air until we fight. <laughs> is that like the biggest concern for you? You're just like, man, crap. Like I feel good. Like I don't feel. You know, is that kind of like that fear of? Because I think we've all done that instant test, and we're all kind of like waiting that 15 minutes, going, oh god, don't be positive, don't be positive. Yeah, yeah. You know, I learned that back in 2020 when I was when I started fighting a lot, and it was during that COVID when the COVID started. So. I would get hyped up like before. Then I'm like, no, we got to take two more tests. We got to take a test again. So I was like, I don't get hyped up until like the day of the fight. You know, I'm like, okay, now it's, now it's going to happen. 
has that always been i mean obviously you're a vet of this game like is that kind of always like that mentality of like your your excitement level maybe doesn't hit till maybe uh you know you're walking to the venue absolutely uh, i mean it's something that came with experience because back in the back when i was really young i would freak freak out like i would not be able to sleep for weeks just thinking about it waking up middle of the night but uh, as i got more experience as i got more fights uh I was like, man, what's the point of like sweating, like thinking about it? We don't think about it until like maybe two hours before the fight. It's been a while since we, we saw you back there in September. What what has been going on with you, man? I know based on your IG, your, the carnivore diet is, is still going strong, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but uh, but in terms of, you know, your life, what, what has been going on? Just a lot, man. I mean, like you said, I changed the to carnivore diet. I've been doing it almost two years. I open up a gym, so I've been busy with that. So just been teaching a lot. Uh, I'm also in the middle of uh, releasing uh, uh, my first uh, DVD on BJJ Fanatics. So I'm going to do that too. So it's just been busy, man. I, I love to be busy. Uh, uh, I don't like to rest that much. I don't like to take vacations. So I just like to go, 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 especially, especially with the carnivore diet. So, I mean, it puts a lot of energy in me. I'm always hyper, ready to go. So. Yeah, just like to stay busy. How did the DVD with uh, BJJ come about? Uh, so, uh, uh, Gabby Garcia uh, was hitting him up. Uh, Mike Zengi and some other guys uh, that are part of BJJ f- Fanatics. And then I also have another uh, good friend, Arsene Alexanian. He's a great wrestler. Uh, he's the one that kind of put me in touch with them. So, we've been talking back and forth. So, uh, uh, we're going to sign the papers and we're going to start recording in April. So it's going to be good. You mentioned about also opening up your own gym. Was that, was that kind of something that you've been wanting to do for a while? Yeah. Yeah. It's always been on my, it's, it's always been in my head. I was like, man, I gotta, I wanted to open up 2019. Uh, but when all that stuff started going on, I was like, you know what? I'll just wait. And then I waited a year and I was like, no, nah, I'm going to open up. I'm, I'm going to open up. So we already been open, uh, since 2021 so it's been already a year that we've been open but it's it's good it's, it's something that i'm looking to do uh when i'm done fighting just pass it on to where wants to learn and and then it's good to spend time with with my kids i mean two of my daughters they're in the class while i'm teaching so it's it's, it's good to push them to put them on the next level and uh yeah i'm very very happy what's that like for you as a dad to have your kids in, in a in a martial arts class with you uh, it's it's great because uh, when I'm teaching them, I'm not their dad. I'm their teacher. So uh, okay. uh, everything changes 360. Like even the parents, when they see me, the way I uh, talk to my kids and the way I interact with them, it's totally different. And, and uh, they push hard. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I think our school is the only school out here in Inland Empire where we push the kids to different level. Everyone has a challenge. There's pretty much no easy days. For every kid, I have a kid that humbles them. So mm-hmm. that's just my way of doing it. So it's good. You know, it's good to see them push through and become mentally strong kids. I remember the last time we talked, to, you know, a lot of it was about kind of where you were at this point of your life and making that run, you know, into the top 10 and whatnot. Um, you know, what, what, what do you see as your path right now at 155? Get close to the belt. Like, I don't care about the rankings, uh, but... Uh, this year, get close to the belts. Uh, put a lot of exciting fights uh, because that's what I know Bellator is looking for. Put exciting fights. Uh, 
get close to the belts. It's Adam Piccolotti right now. I'm focused on Adam. Um, after I finish him, just go out there and whoever is next. I mean, I, I try to fight Usman, uh, Nurmagomedov, but uh, the kid is interested in only fighting bums. He doesn't want a real competition. So whoever they throw at me, you know, I'm, I'm willing to take those top 10 guys. But like I said, get close to the belt. You're the second guy this week has said they want Usman. Oh, yeah. Who was the first one? Aviv Gozali. <laughs> man, that kid. <laughs> oh, man. That kid is not even a 500 fighter, brother. I mean, I know he has a lot of fast submissions in Bellator, but I'm tired of, um, I'm tired of the hype of some, not even 500 fighters to get the hype. And he's ranked number, uh, <laughs> he's ranked on top 10 in Bellator. I think Aviv Gozali fighting Usman is going to be one of the easiest matchup for Usman. I, I will tell you this. I'm a voter in the Bellator rankings. Lightweight is one of the hardest divisions to rank. Because, really? because look, like, MMA math is tough. So it's like, okay, um, where, where you, you look at someone like a Benson Henderson for aspect. Yeah, he's been on like three or four or five losing streaks. Yeah. He's still been on top ten. Yeah, he just got a win. So it's like, okay, obviously one of the you know great lightweights to do this with what he's accomplished. But it's like, okay, he hasn't done well. You got the champion. You got Brent Premison up there. I, I think he's not as high as he should be. Of course, I thought he won that Mamadov fight last year. Uh, me too. Me too. Yeah. Just because I was like, it, it's one of those situations of just because you're in top position, I don't think that means you're winning the round. You know, and, and I think we saw I that we saw that against Henderson, uh, Mamadov last time, where he just got in that top position and he didn't do anything. I'm like, you, you shouldn't be rewarded for just having that position and doing anything. But it's just like it's like, okay, where do you put this guy, that guy? And to me, 55 is the hardest division I have every time there's a ranking cycle. No, I, I feel you, but I feel yeah. But uh, talking about Ben, yeah, that's why I was like, man, Ben, nothing but respect towards him. I think he's OG. I will always respect him, but. He was on a losing streak, and then he was still ranked top 10. Uh, Miles Jury is still like top 10. Uh, Aviv Ghazali, top 10. Uh, th- there's a bunch of guys I-, I could bring him up, and I could break them down easy, but, I mean, fuck them all. They're, they're my competition, so I'm going to run into them one day. <laughs> just take it one, you just got to take it one down at the top. I mean, look, I get you. Like, I would tell you, like, that's the one thing about those belts or rankings. Some of these divisions are tough to rank. Because, like, you have fighters that are very young in their career, and I understand that they're being put into fights as the A side. They're not necessarily, like, you know, like, I, I was with this earlier this week, like, Valerie Loreda. She's ranked. She's not in my rankings because I'm like, she's on a developmental deal. She's not fighting, you know. I think they rank her because of her uh, the uh, personality. Like, she shows her ass, she shows her body. Stuff like that, and uh, it brings views. Because if, if you're watching TV and you see someone showing their ass, you're like, oh, wow, okay. So it creates views, but as far as martial artists, I know she comes from Taekwondo background, but as far as martial artists, she needs a lot of experience in there. She's like, still very green. It, it makes me think what you said there, like for you in the position you're in, is there ever a part of you like, like damn, I got to do something spectacular for people to to, you know, for me to get that clip that, you know, hits a million views or something like that. I mean, do you ever think about that? I mean, I, I will never do anything stupid, but like MMA is at the point where you need to go get a finish. 
Like, it's not at the point where, oh, my God, this guy's on a 17-fight win streak and all the 17 wins are by decision. No. You get two good finishes, boom, you shoot up. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to be like Valley Lorado showing my ass or anything like that, but I'm going out there to go finish. And and I know uh, a good finish will make it a highlight. A good finish will give that views. A good finish will put me in that spot. So, that's what I'm looking for. But as far as changing my personality to be something else, nah, ne- never. I come from a old school background. So back in the day, we never had Instagram, Twitter. No one cared about that shit. <laughs> some, some ways life was a lot easier. Oh, man. I, feel, I honestly feel bad for all these up and coming fighters because they have to keep up with their Instagram. They have to do this. They have to do that. It is a fucking full time job. Yeah, it is. I work in marketing. Yeah, <laughs> it is a full time job. Yeah, it's yeah. You got to keep up with the trends of, of what's working, what's not working, what's getting what's getting the you know, how do you get in the right algorithm? So yeah, people are actually yeah. seeing what you do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's so different. than Hey, you've got someone to sponsor you. You want all your fans to know about that sponsor. It's like, how do I get that sponsor to the algorithm? Yep. <laughs> Like you always got to promote, you know, and, and listen, I, I don't blame. I'm not blaming like Valerie saying, oh, my gosh, she, go ahead. I think her manager's telling her the right thing. She's showing all her stuff. And, and you know, there, there's a bunch of girls that are in UFC, too. They're doing the same thing. So yeah. more power to them. Hey, you got to use your advantage. Like as you I, I just pulled up the Bellator uh, ranking system, like it, it just kind of made me think about it. It, it. You know, you mentioned about, hey, I'm just going to take one down at a time. I mean, is a mentality of, hey, if I got to start number 10, I'll, I'll do number 10, number nine, number eight. Is that kind of that mentality? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, if they put me top 10 after I finish Adam, I'm cool. If they don't, I'm cool either. So I just like, I mean, uh I fight in front of the promoter, you know, I fight in front of Scott Coker. So I deliver good fights. He keeps me busy. You know, I, I even though I just took this last fight in September, short notice, but I came to fight. I, I didn't, I didn't come to lay and pray. Yeah. Sal did a good job laying and praying and he didn't want to stand with me. You know, when the fight was done, you could tell that excitement in his eyes. It's like, Oh my God, this fight is over. It's like, thank you. Thank you. He keeps saying thank you. And I came to fight and I almost knocked him out in the second round and, you know, after I talked to Scott Coker and all the people there, they were just, they knew that I came to fight. So I knew I was going to, they were going to keep me busy. And, and that's how Bellator is. That's how Scott Coker is. So if any of you listen to me there that likes to go to a decision, guess what? Scott doesn't like that. Yeah. Look, it's when we're talking to Scott Coker and a promoter, promoters do not like decisions. <laughs> <laughs> they, nope. they like, they uh, like fighters that you, you sit there and say, Hey, that guy's an exciting fighter. I'm going to buy a ticket or I'm, I'm going to, you know, sit in front of the, the television, computer, whatever it may be and watch you fighting. And, and I, I, I think that's always been the case with you. I, I don't think anyone's ever, you know, you're always going for it. Yeah. Always. You know, this man, I, I just feel like 15 minutes is nothing. We, we go through eight weeks of nine weeks of training, 15 minutes of, destroying someone in front of you, there shouldn't be problems. So I'm looking forward for next week. I look forward to seeing the fight there. Georgie, man, as always, man, I appreciate your time and uh, look forward to seeing the fight, man. Thank you, Jason. I All appreciate right. you, my brother. And that was my conversation with Georgie Carhine. I appreciate him taking some time out. Always uh, one of my favorite guys to interview. A great conversation we had there about the Bellator rankings. And uh, it, it's always, Daniel, it's interesting to me because I think – Pretty much, I don't think any Bellator fighter knows who votes on the Bellator rankings. So it's always kind of interesting, especially when you do these things on video, where you can kind of see their their face reaction going, oh, you're one of the voters. 
Oh, it just, and then, but then, like I said, in the interview I told him, I was like, I go, look, I think the Bellator lightweight division is one of the hardest divisions to rank in all Bellator. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, when you look at this division, what makes it hard to me is the parody of the tiers. Like you have the top tier and it's pretty clear, but once you get past there, it's, it's, you could make a case for one guy to go from the very bottom to the very top of these rankings. Well, I got I got to see what my rankings were uh, last week because I just, I just logged into the system to see someone's already been eliminated. Um, so so like right now, of course, you got Patricky Pitbull as a champion at, at one fifty five, and then like we talk about MMA math, how MMA math doesn't always work. So I have Brent Primus number one as a former champion. Uh, number two is Benson Henderson. Three, Gochi Amuchi, who's now fighting at welterweight. <laughs> that came out this week, taking on Derek Anderson. Then you got Sydney Outlaw, Peter Quigley, Usman Nurmagomedov, Islam Mamadov, Miles Jury, Alexander Shalby. And I forget who else I had there. Top 10. Someone's been eliminated from that top 10. I, th- I th- look to you that might be. Well, look, I would have Usman Nurmagomedov ranked number one. All right. I- I uh, I love me some Nirmaga Madoff. He's looked so impressive, but I mean, this is a lightweight ranking. This is going to look dramatically different one year from now. Oh man, bro! And, and there are so many people who want to fight Usman Nirmaga Madoff. Uh, when I talked to Aviv Kozali, he mentioned his name. Georgie Carlion <laughs> mentioned his name, and uh, I mean, look, it, it, but Georgie is a guy, and, and he brings up the point of like, you know, Scott Coker is always going to he's going to have a place in Bellator because he knows Georgie is going to go out there and fight. He's not going to lay and pray. He's not just going to work for a decision win. So it, it, it's an interesting matchup there. But like, you know, like you look at these Bellator rankings and, and like heavyweight is a perfect example of just how it, you know, I mentioned about like one of the negative sides of the Bellator rankings is it shows the lack of depth. And while I don't have him ranked, I'm pretty sure that Davon Franklin, uh, if he's not ranked, he's like right there. Uh, but he's only a four no fighter and, and he takes on uh, Soma here. That That's it. That'll be one of the four fights as a part of the main card, a preliminary card. We got the return of Brennan Ward. Of course, uh, Nolan King had a great article about uh, what uh, the, the what has been happening with Brennan Ward and um, you know the the addiction issues that he has had. Um, I know his coach Greg Rebello put up a, a video up on. Instagram talking about kind of how Brennan Ward has changed. Uh, I will tell you, Brennan has been training at my buddy Pete Rogers Jr.'s gym uh, in preparation for this one. Pete has told me he's, well, let's just say this is a clear A-side, B-side fight, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for this one. I'm excited to see him fight again. Now. I'm I'm in a, in a way, I'm surprised they didn't put this on the main card. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful story. It really is. You know, I mean, this is a guy who won a tournament, was contending for a championship, and he's a name I kind of forgot about. And I actually haven't read that article. I need to go and read it because that just sounds like a great story. Yeah, it's about his, his addiction issues that go back to when he was fighting and uh, you know all the issues he had. I would tell you, in terms of this preliminary card, Mando Nala versus Nick Brown, to me, is one of those fights to pay attention to. Uh, Justin Montalvo, he's 4-0. He trains out of Ray Longo's gym. Um, I've heard Ray talk about him countless times on, on the Anakin Florian podcast, so that's definitely someone that I'm going to pay attention to. Justine Kish, the former UFC fighter, she makes her Bellator debut, taking on Deanna Bennett. Uh, Vive goes out who I mentioned uh, who believes he's the best grappler in all of Bellator and I said so, and I go well who's number two he goes oh Neiman Gracie 
<laughs> I have a feeling if you ask Neiman Gracie, his opinion might be a little bit different there. Uh, but also the other name to pay attention to is Bellator Williams Daniel. Jalon Bates, 4-0, trains out of Antonio McKee's gym. And I had a chance to catch up with him, talk about his matchup here on Saturday at Bellator 274. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man we're going to see back inside the Bellator cage as he looks to remain undefeated. Jalen Bates, Jalen, appreciate the time. I was looking at your Instagram bio, and there was something that immediately stuck out to me where you said, striving for greatness, will you be a witness? Greatness, what is that definition to you? Greatness is legacy, man. Um, I want to go undefeated in the sport. I want to be known as you know, one of the best phantom weights to ever do it. And um, I, I really believe in myself. That's the thing. I'm super confident in my upbringing and where I've come from to do what I'm doing. And uh, I don't believe a lot of these guys have that same confidence as I do. And that's why I'm with greatness around me. I feel like that's what brought me to Antonio McKee's gym and being around AJ McKee and training with Antonio McKee living at his house. So I want people to witness, you know, my rise from, I, I come from a middle class working family. Uh, I wasn't born into this and it's something I, something really that chose me, I feel like. And um, I've been fighting, you know, almost all my life. So yeah, I feel like people are going to witness greatness, especially when they see the things I can do, my athleticism, my tenacity, uh, my spirit, my heart. So yes, sir. Do you remember the moment in your life when you realized like this was the path that you were on? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can, it goes back to three, seven, eight Umbria way when, uh, middle school started, started middle school, saw UFC event. This is like 2008, my first UFC event. I saw it. I was a WWE fan before that. And then I saw UFC and I was like, Oh, that shit is real. You know, saw John Jones, John Jones is my all time. And actually that quote is actually from him. Uh, striving for greatness. Will you be a witness? I saw him post that like 2012 or something like that. And I all, I've always loved it because he's in my eyes is still a great, no matter his outside dwellings and stuff. And, um, I saw that event girl showed me my first arm bar and I was just like, Oh yeah, I love this. I love fighting. I love the chest, the, the, the intricate details that go into it. And, uh, it's been history ever since. I remember I had another fighter recently. They were, they were talking about kind of their mindset on the fight game. And they said, it's like, they're like, it's like putting a puzzle together that you're trying to figure out all the puzzle pieces of where they go. You know, this openings that your opponent is going to give you. Is that kind of the way you look at things of like, okay, I, I know I, I have a, a thought process of what I want to do in this fight, how I want to attack my opponent. But ultimately it's just about, okay, if I move right, how does he move? Trying to put all those puzzle pieces together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, honestly, for me, I do. That's something I'm learning is more patience in the game because I'm a, I'm a precision striker. So more patience in the game and, and, and seeing my openings rather than just trying to make them open up. But um, something I do do well is just my tenacity. I just go, I just go, I, I try to break my phone from the start of the bell to the finish. I'll go 15 minutes hard uh, or I'll go uh, and or it's more patience. I need to learn more patience. So it's more learning how to see that opening. But I know the more I get in that Bellator cage, the more I, I continuously fight, the more openings I'll see and the patient I'll get. And then eventually, man, these guys are going to have a problem because it'll, it'll just click. Everything will just click and it'll be, a, they're going to have a field day. I'm going to have a field day. They're going to have a long day. 
hearing that word patience made me kind of think, would you describe yourself as a patient person in life? Yeah, I feel, uh, I said, yeah, too quickly. <laughs> uh, I would say in life, sometimes I do want it. I want it. Sometimes I want stuff like now, um, but I'm learning patience. I'm learning how to think more calmly and, and, and weather the storm say the, say, uh, to say the least um, in life I'm not I, I wouldn't say I'm patient I like to go fast I like to get shit done and over with I like to get through it um, if we're running the hill I like to finish I don't want to fucking be all day I don't like I don't like lollygagging like lollygagging is just like it's almost like a pet peeve of mine uh-huh. but it's something I learned from being a procrastinator. I, I was a big procrastinator and I feel like procrastination takes patience, but it's in the wrong way. So, uh, something I'm learning for sure. You know, right before we started talking, I, I was on your topology page and you know, one of the things I love about topology, they'll show the betting odds and you've always been a massive betting favorite in all of your pro fights, you know, seven, one, eight, one, you know, so on and yeah. so forth. It made me kind of think of, do you, do you feel like, there's a target on your back and do you think that's a good thing that that's kind of like a motivation i mean if there's a target on my back i hope so because i'm going to be the king at the end of the day these bantam weights are not going to stop me i'm going to be the king when i'm done i'm going to go undefeated and i give all and it's not and the thing is it's not even me it, i swear it's not me if it was me i would have gave up on this fight shit a long time ago it's really god just continuously waking me up every day to go to practice, continually blessing me to be healthy and to, and then just keep going through the, it's almost like going through the motions, but I'm learning so much. So yeah, there's a, I feel like there is a target on my back, but one day I know that I'm going to be the underdogs. I know when I, you know, if I fight Scots or the, the Nomaga Medoff or the Pettis, I might be the underdog in those fights, mm-hmm. but that's okay with me because that makes me even work harder. I love, I've always grown up being the underdog. No one, no one picked me first to be on the team. No one was like, let me take Jalen. He's, he's going to win. So now that in the beginning of my career it's happening, I don't even pay attention to it because I'm looking for that day when I'm the underdog. That's the day I'm, people are really going to see me shine. Um, these fights are just, in my opinion, just, you know, stepping stones to build me up. And that's why I'm so thankful to Bellator for building up the way. I'm not take. I'm not taking easy fights. Since I started this MMA, I've always taken taken their hardest part they give me, and um, I'm going to continue doing that. But the thing is, the betting gods don't show. They're like, yeah, let's just bet on this kid, and he's going to continue winning. But I'm looking for that day when I'm the underdog again, because when I'm the underdog, they're going to see me shine. Pressure makes diamonds, you know. As you look at this fight here against Chris, he's got 10 professional fights. Um, what about his abilities offers you a challenge? Um, okay. Honest answer. Nothing. Nothing seems challenging, but I don't want that to be mistaken for me overlooking him or me taking him lightly or me. Just like what I said, um, I know people have said, like when I talked about Sergio Pettis going to the UFC to Bellator, I don't fucking, I'm not, it's not me saying, oh, he sucks. No, he's still fucking dangerous. All of these guys are dangerous. We're professional athletes. Everyone still can win on any given day. So I'm not taking anyone lightly. I'm just saying that I'm more confident in my skills. I'm confident in what I bring to the table. And when I get hit, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. But when I get hit, something else comes out of me. And it's, it, it might be a problem because, you know, it only takes one hit to knock you out. But I have a, I have a very strong chance. So 
yeah, nothing, nothing really worries me. But I'm not taking him lightly. I, I, I think he's a great fighter, and I think he's going to do well. I think we're have a great fight. But uh, I will come out victorious. Is there a part of you that is seeking the knockout in this fight? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. I, I, I am, I am seeking it a little bit because he did knock out a boss opponent. But I'm not going to hunt for it. I'm going to let it come uh-huh. to me. And um, I know I want to get a first round finish. I want to start getting first round finishes. I don't fucking get paid to be in the 15 minutes. I get paid. I get paid the same amount, whether 15 minutes or two minutes. So I want to get. I want to get the night done quickly. But regardless of what happens, I'm gonna win. And it's gonna be. It's gonna be whether a submission or it's gonna be a win. Whatever. Whatever they want. Whatever. However he wants to go. Back. No, of course not. Awesome, Jalen, man. I appreciate time and I look forward to seeing the fight next week, man. Thank you so much. God bless, brother. And that was my conversation with Jalon Bates. Definitely a guy to pay attention to there. And I mean, look, Antonio McKee's the body shop gym there, man. They are just touting out some prospects out there. So you got to keep it locked there. Uh, you know, I will I will probably have more of a, well, being a Bellator rankings voter, I'll have more of a vested interest in watching the Bellator card on Saturday night. But I'll be flipping around. I will be flipping around between Bellator and UFC. I mean, look, if you, if you got nothing to do on Saturday, you just want to take in you know some fights. UFC shows starts at four o'clock with the prelims. I want to say the Bellator prelims start around six o'clock. You could just make it a night full of uh, just some fights. I, I, I yeah. to, to use the co-main event podcast line, just some fights is what we're getting here. But who knows? Like this is, this could be one of those weekends where you say, Hey man, on paper, it wasn't a sexy car, but man, these fights delivered. Absolutely. That's probably what will happen. That's usually what happens whenever we get underwhelming fight cards. Look, we're going to watch these fights next week. We will break them down in terms of what you need to watch, what were the memorable moments, and, you know, as the MA world turns, we'll have plenty more. But, uh, yeah, I mean, God, that next fight night card sucks too. What's going on, Jason? These fight night cards are rough. Bro, man, there is times where I just, like, I'm such in a week-to-week thing. I rarely look ahead. I remember when uh, it was Eric Hawani initially reported that, you know, the the Mahachev and um, Tarjush fight wasn't going to happen. Oh, I forgot Mahachev and Green's on this one. Yeah, That's yeah. So they, just, sorry, they yeah. probably just haven't put it on there, but yeah. Um, and then when someone had had mentioned like, well, you do know what's it, the co-main event is like uh, Misha Serkinov or somebody else. Wellington tournament. That's what I thought was the main event for <laughs> half a second. I completely spaced out on the fact that Green is on the main event. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, that's the one thing when you come to these fight night cards, man. It's just. It's tough to get excited about some of these cards, but I will tell you this. I have had more people ask me about the March pay-per-view of Maslow and Covington. than I've got questions about a UFC card in a long time. Yeah, man. It seems like it's the perfect mix of just the right matchup that, you know, both Covington and Masvidal are known commodities. They're going to talk plenty of trash. And when you look at that main card, it's pretty dope. It's a great main card. Covington and Masvidal is going to bring in the casual fans, and I think they're going to really enjoy watching Bryce Mitchell fight. Barbosa, they're going to really enjoy that RDA fight. Kevin Holland, obviously, is going to take on a real fighter, not a troll. And, you know, I love that Marina Rodriguez versus Jan Zanon fight on the prelims. I mean, to me, that almost should be on the main card because, like, Marina Rodriguez is a title challenger with the win here. But, yeah. 
By the way, I mentioned about that Bellator April the 15th card with the, the two title fights. That card's also going to see Aaron Pico versus Jeremy Kennedy. So that's an interesting matchup there at 145 pounds. I mean, look, like it's going to be interesting to see kind of, man, it makes you wonder if Pico goes out there and if he can style on Jeremy Kennedy like we've seen him style on some other dudes. It makes you wonder how, how how soon does he get rushed up in there into you know a top five top three type fight. I think I think sooner rather than later. If he looks very impressive, that will happen. Yeah, because, some, yeah. It, it was interesting about that card. Someone tweeted at me. They said, "Hey, are are you surprised it's not on CBS?" I was like, "No." I go, "That's not the surprising part of this card." I go, "I'm surprised it's in San Jose." I would have thought they would try to put McKee back in LA again. Yeah, that just seems like the market that makes more sense for him. But, you know, you can't take San Jose out of Scott Coker. He loves running that market. I mean, that's where his bread was buttered in the strike force days. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll get the, the ticket sellers on that car to put people in the seats. I mean, you know, I, I still say, I think if they do a show on CBS in 2022, it's headlined by Chris Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison. Yep. And if it's not them, I don't know who AJ McKee's on that bill. But it's definitely Harrison Cyborg and probably with AJ McKee as a co-made event. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Uh, Bellator did take McKee down to Radio Row last week. So, uh, you know, getting him on a bunch of different radio stations. I mean, look, it's, you know, he's talked about he wants to be the Floyd Mayweather MMA. You know, he wants to be 50 and 0. I mean, you know, well, you know, that's that's a long road. It's <laughs> a yeah. long road to get that there. It's a long road, but at 26 years old, man, he's sure as hell accomplished a whole lot in this sport to, to, to beat Patricio Pitbull. You know, to run through that featherweight tournament at 18 and 0, AJ McKee can accomplish just that if he if he's able if he continues to win. Bro, what's what's his frequency look like when he gets to that point? If he if he can go in this role and win his next three fights, and he becomes a free agent, oh my! I mean, I, you would have to imagine the UFC would be extremely interested in bringing him in. You would have to think so. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who could probably fight at multiple weight classes, marquee weight classes. And he, again, might be the best fighter in the world. You know, currently he's the pound for pound best fighter in Bellator. Who knows? If you have an opportunity to sign the best in the world, you're going to open up the checkbook. I would be surprised if he doesn't fight at 55 within the next two years. Yeah, that seems like the natural progression, you know, especially look, yeah. him and Pico are not going to fight each other. They're, they're lifelong friends. They're not going to fight each other. Um, I, I think that if Pico does get into that title range, I think that could accelerate when McKee goes up to 55. Yeah, I think so. I think so. That or, you know, it may not be just that. It may just be signing with the UFC and then wanting to be a double champion. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing with Bellator, man. You got to, you know. I think that's the one thing. I mean, it's like it's like the whole Katz and Gano thing. I mean, they wanted Kat to take that cyborg fight. She turned it down. She's now taking on Pam Sorensen. I kind of I do wonder is Bellator punishing her by putting her on the prelims of that card in St. Louis, not even putting her on the main card. Uh, that's the card that's going to be headlined by Adams Bor- Borax and Mads Burnell, which uh, even in the press release they label that as a title eliminator fight. Wow. The Barax and Matt's Brunel fight? Yeah, which, which I mean, look. But the problem, the problem is when you label that, what happens if Pitbull beats McKee? Don't you guys guy then book the trilogy matchup? Uh, yes, 100%. Without a doubt. It, it's weird to back yourself in a corner like that when you have a championship fight that's still taking place. At the end of the day, that's how you marketed it. But 
if Pitbull beats McKee, you just say screw it and you, and you and you do the trilogy regardless of what you promise people. By the way, as we finish up the show, uh, me being forty, I got to ask someone's a little younger than me. I thought the halftime show rocked. Did you dig it? Yeah, I did too. But we might be too old. I mean, I'm I'm it, it's it hit me nostalgically too. It was awesome. I mean, so many of those guys I listened to in middle school. I'm really disappointed in America for body shaming Fifty Cent. Like this dude comes back, and all anyone can do on the internet is just make fat jokes. Oh, I'll mention relate. So when I was went out Saturday night for the UFC fight, until like I want to say the co-main event, they were just playing the jukebox, and I swear about every other song was either a Dre song or a Snoop song. Like people were, were I was like, as someone who's forty years old, I feel like my age demographic. I think that. 35 to like 55 year old audience like that was the halftime show for us oh yeah it was it was it was a plus they knocked it out of the park and it's one thing where we'll never forget it 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 was just amazing it was just from the beginning to the end it was nostalgia it was memory lane it was a halftime show that felt short it really did oh yeah by the time they were done i was yeah I, i was sitting there going i was thinking about after it's over i'm like if you told me they were taking that thing on tour right now, just take my money. Just take my money. Oh, yeah. You want to hear so many more songs from so many of them, you know? You just got one song out of each of them, basically. And it was like, damn. And then, yeah, 50 Cent, it was a nice surprise, too. You know, and it was the perfect song choice. Yeah, I, I almost, I would have said if it was just Snoop and Dre, I would have been fine. If it was just them two, doing, just doing all the hits. Yeah, they got so many good hits. They do. But Eminem really worked for me, too. I mean, I love Eminem. I mean, growing up, he was he was number one for me. I, I, as I was sitting on my couch, because it was a little weird this year, watching the Super Bowl from home after being in the game last year, it was, it was weird for me. I was like, it was a weird feeling, you know? And I was like, you know, I've only done the Super Bowl once, but now I'm sitting at home. Like after being there, like, it's kind of weird. I was sitting there thinking, damn, man, that'd been awesome to be up in the booth and, and watching that halftime show. Oh, I know. Like the kicker from the Bengals. It was just out there. Your halftime <laughs> yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh. You missed out, buddy. But, you know, anytime you go to the Super Bowl, you know you're going to see something amazing at the halftime show. That's the guarantee. Yeah, I had last year where our booth was, uh, we were, I was basically kind of like to the the side of the weekend stage. And so I remember just watching going, what is going on here? Yeah, it is kind of hard to see, right? But plus, like, look, I'm not a, I'm not a big consumer of the weekend. Yeah, I can imagine. Me neither. Like yeah, I'm not. I'm could, not a, I, I could tell you. I. I don't. That may be the first time I've heard Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, I, I like him a lot, but I can understand he's not your demographic. But in terms the, of age. the rest of them. Oh yeah, man. That's like my childhood, my college, my high school. Oh yeah, like that. That is totally. You know that that was my life. Yeah. Yeah, that was perfect. I mean, it was a, a chef's kiss. It was a great night of football, a memorable night, and and uh, the halftime show was one of the best. In the history of halftime shows, it's it's my number one. It's my, but I think it's because of my musical taste. Yeah, I think the I think the Prince one is probably number one, but this one's up there. This one definitely is. I yeah. like the Beyonce one too with Shakira, but I would put this one ahead of that one. But yeah, the Prince and MJ pretty good too. But Plus, yeah, it also helps when you have a very competitive game too, where you know it's right down to the wire. By oh, the way, yeah. if you didn't see it. Uh, good thing if you're a Rams fan, Aaron Donald got to Joe Burrow because Jamar Chase was 
wide open, <laughs> wide open. Yeah, not 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 a not a great day for Jalen Ramsey. Let's just say that as an FSU guy, not not a great day for him. He he's probably probably got to be going up to Aaron Donald, going, "Thanks, big man. Thanks, big man. Made me look good." Oh, yeah. <laughs> that guy, that guy's that guy's unbelievable. He should have won the MVP of the Super Bowl, in my opinion. I was shocked. I was shocked he was not the MVP. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think they win without Aaron Donald. No, especially in that second half, man. But that whole game, you know, he might just be the best player in football history. He literally might. It's an underrated position that doesn't get that much attention, that defensive tackle position. But for him to get that much attention shows how good he is because usually those guys aren't getting the spotlight. They're doing the dirty work. After the game was over, I uh, turned on the NFL Network uh, postgame show, and Sean McVay comes up, and uh, Chris Rose was the host. It was him and Joe Thomas. And uh, Chris, you know, they're live on air, you know. I mean, you could, you could tell that this postgame show is completely, it is not scripted at all. It's just they, they've got to set on the field, and it's like whoever's walking up. Like, there's not even a PR person walking up Sean McVay, you know. And the, he goes, hey, coach, uh, you need anything? He goes, I can really use a beer right now. I'm like, my kind of guy. <laughs> I feel yeah. like you are talking to a lot of America right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's why Sean McVay will probably be a football commentator before you know it. I mean, he absolutely would fit right into that Monday night football booth. He really would. Oh, no question. Hey, he, uh, he started his coaching career here in Tampa. Oh, did he really? Yeah. He was, uh, he was started as, um, you know, you know, the guy, what's, what's the position called? Um, quality control coach, uh, under John Gruden. Yeah. Well, he said he's going to run it back another year, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think there's a chance Sean McVay becomes uh, the next John Madden. Yeah, if you, if, you, if you didn't see Les Need's shirt that he's wearing in the victory parade, parade it said F them picks. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't believe in draft picks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Uh, last, the ultimate buy in. Oh, last time they had a first round draft pick, Barack was Obama it? was the president. Who did they pay? Like Tavon Austin? I have no idea. It, it's crazy, but yeah, they it's, uh, it, it's look. It's sad for me. The football season's over. It's like, okay, is it July yet? Yeah, I know, I know, but it's all right, man. We can enjoy basketball. We, you know, March Madness is almost here. We got NBA, and we'll get to July before you know it. I don't know if baseball's going to be there for us, but you know, the rest will be. Ooh, yeah, that don't look good, bro. <laughs> That yes, don't look good. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. It doesn't. Yeah, I just saw a tweet that basically said, uh, I guess our meeting today only lasted 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awful. That is awful. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, uh, as someone that has really gone away from the game of baseball, like when I was a kid, I really enjoyed baseball. I'm just like, man, these owners and players, you need to realize, man, you're losing your fan base. Yeah, this is a replaceable sport. People aren't even watching it nowadays, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find other things to watch. Oh, no question about it. No question about it. But that is going to do it for this week's edition of the MMA Report Podcast. do want to thank uh, the fires that came on this week's edition. John Castaneda, Josh Trim, Georgie Carahanian, and Jay Long Bates. Of course, myself and Dan will be back next week. We'll take a look back at what happens. UFC Vegas 48, Bellator 274. Who knows? Maybe something crazy is going to happen between Mike Perry and Julian Lane. I mean, we've already seen a baseball bat come out at a press conference. God knows what's going to happen on fight night, but we'll be here to recap it all. So, of course, uh, be sure uh, to uh, check out all the sponsors of the MMA Report podcast over the MMAreport.com. Leave a rating review. That always helps us out as well. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report podcast. It comes out every week on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com. 